Wow. <laughs> I was That's waiting it. for That's you stellar. to do it. You like that? You like our intro? Is that you? No, no. That? No, oh, that was him on the recorder. Okay. Yeah. The, Intentional. He, yeah. Well, if <laughs> Takes you, me back to third grade. We'll see. If you, you've, did, you, uh, did you ever listen to any of the episodes? I have not yet. Dude, you promised you were going to do your homework? I, I actually found them last night, though. Oh, so nice. I, that's that's I'm a like, start. I just you know just got on Spotify and Googled you guys and found it. So well, that's we'll good. Well, there it is. We'll see. The Let running joke was he didn't believe me that I still had my recorder from third grade. Oh, so I brought it in. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Well, yeah, because one of our one of our best early episodes was about or the the the, the recorder. recorder. Why yeah. the fuck is it one of the instruments that that we're given as children to learn how to play music yeah, on? There's got to be some history behind that. History behind uh, a behind shitty piece of plastic. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you find out anything? No, that no, we don't oh. follow through on. No, we just the, oh, you just muse about it. Yes, we muse. We <laughs> we we make up a lot of of uh, misinformation. Is it misin mis misinformation? Okay. Yeah. One of the two. Mr. Dis. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, we're we're full of misinformation. That's like pretty much the premise of our of entire operation here. All right. Is it? Yeah, I was talking to somebody. He goes, I just want to come on so I can correct everything you say. I'm like, well, it's not like that kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> We're so full of shit. That's that's our problem. Basically. Okay. Yeah. And how, do you, yeah. how do you guys know each other? Well, I mean, we just go so far back. I mean, where does it even start, Kyle? Eight years ago. I'm going to flip the script on you guys and interview you guys here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. so, eight years how? ago. Yeah. So I started at the club eight years ago. So this guy was running... Our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen here at the Boys and Girls Club, uh, which is just a teen guys kind of support mentorship group. Okay. And uh, I came in unknown to the to the organization, started working here, and I don't know, started hanging out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Basically. It's fucking stellar fucking bro shows up, you know, lots of swag, of course, just the man. And he comes into the program, and uh, he stepped up and, like, we started collaborating um, and just up in the level of our game with the program and like his commitment to the program and everything he did about it and how much he cares about it. I mean, obviously it's near and dear to my heart and we just became really good friends. And so hanging out over time and then one day we're like, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should start a podcast. And I'm like, yeah. And then I forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> and like six months later, he's like, bro, I got the stuff. I'm like, what stuff? He's like, the podcast stuff, I'm like, shit, all right. Mm -hmm. And then that's how, how we ended up here. That's oh, how we okay. ended up here, yeah. And are yeah. you both still doing the Boys and Girls Club? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. we do it. We do it uh, every fall yeah. through spring. Coming okay. up. Coming up. Coming up, man. month and a half, about. I didn't yeah. know about that. You did I no. never told you about no. the, the program? No, it's, it's not a subject we've ever broached. Oh, wow. Well, we'll have to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to talk a about mentorship it. action. Yeah, maybe we, can, <laughs> um, maybe we can get you to come in and... Do a little bit of mentorship, whatever. It, yeah, yeah, sounds cool. We got we got this uh, young Alex. He's oh yeah, he's a hell of a runner. Oh yeah, he, got a, he needs some maybe some help and some guidance to teach him. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna try to hook him up with a cross country coach this year. Oh there nice. How old yeah. is he? He's 15, fifteen. Going on fifteen. Going on fifteen. Okay, dude, this kid's got like air like like you wouldn't believe. I I don't even know where it came from. He's this tall, lanky kid. We were on our um our annual camp out. We got to climb these steep ass bluffs mm -hmm. to get up in this, uh, up in this, well, the top of the the hill. And there's all these roads and shit that go through the place where where we camp out, and everybody's just fucking sucking wind. And Alex is sprinting, and he gets all the way to the top of the hill, and he's like 
200 yards in front of us and he turns around he puts his hands on his hips and then he just runs right back to us he's like hey guys what's going on <laughs> it's just like fuck Jeez. you dude you know and so he just ran the whole time everywhere we went to be young like that again well to be fair the, one of the other guys was throwing out the whole time <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I mean, so it's just like i think he's he's the, the an exception to the rule huh. of all the young men at this camp out interesting yeah, yeah. including the old men at the camp out the old men especially. Yeah. So I've been anyway, prepping though. You've been prepping? When I do my walking at the gym, I've been putting that incline as high as that shit'll go. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. yeah. That's that's what I do too. I do I that's how I do it. When yeah. in the winter when I'm there. That's the best way. Puts way more stress on you. Yeah. You know. Uphill walking, one of the best things you can do, yeah. Yeah. It's and legit. keep it at a walking level. Yeah. Don't yeah. Don't run. Yeah. I see guys in there with like weighted <clears throat> vests. You know, with the yeah. doing the uphill walking, I do that sometimes. Yeah. It's like, but isn't that harder on your knees and and is it harder on your joints oh, and shit? Uh, oh, most definitely. But you need to do load bearing exercise um, to increase bone density. So I, I think it's a trade off. I don't do it too much. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't overdo that stuff. But I think I think it's okay to do it every now and then. Okay. I think it's it's been something that I think has helped me with the stuff I do is incorporating weight vest stuff in. Let's talk about what you do. So, uh, hey everybody, who the fuck you are? Good, good morning. It's uh, we got a we got a special guest here on the podcast this morning. Uh, his name is Ben Rule. Um, do, do people fuck up your last name all the time? What now? Like, what do you get? Like, what's the most? Ruley, Riley, Royal, um, Ruile, <laughs> Ruile. Yeah, I like it. How, so do you, my, how do you spell it? R U Y L E. R U Y L E. So my daughter Seneca, she got introduced at a swim meet once, or they announced a, a meet result, and uh, so her name is Seneca Rule. They pronounced it Senesqua Raiule. <laughs> so we still we that's still am- call her that sometimes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, wow. to piss her off. <laughs> I don't think she's at that point where she gets pissed off. Just kind of. So you don't do it it's enough just then. Wonderment, <laughs> right? I suppose we need to go there. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, so it's so Ben Rule. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, buddy of mine for quite a while, man. How long have we known each other? Holy shit, man. Um, I I don't even know. I, I know Trina and I moved here in uh, probably 2003. Mm-hmm. So I lived here, lived here for a couple years, 2002, 3, 4 maybe, and then moved back to Sauk. So maybe we met during that time. I'm we must have met through Peter. We we right? probably did. So we probably didn't meet until the the trench commercial thing. The the whole um, oh when you did the, the King Louis Java promo. stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably when we met, and that was maybe two thousand eight. No, I think it had. Was it earlier? Well, it was earlier. Wasn't it was it? earlier it was like, than that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was like two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so we've known each other maybe seventeen years. Yeah. Something holy like shit! That. Fucking what? long time. So. Uh, did I ever tell you about the commercial? No. So Peter Etzweiler, <laughs> our, our good friend who lives in LA now, uh, assistant director extraordinaire. Um, he uh, was working. He needed to create a, a reel for for him to show off his talents to other people. Director's reel. Director's so, reel. Yeah. yeah. So um, he he wanted to do a commercial for my new coffee shop that I had just built, and uh, and he's like, "Can we do that?" I'm like, "Fucking, you can do whatever you want, bro." That's like that's awesome. So he sets up. This this scene in the middle of a of a fucking field where they dug this trench and it's a World War Two right right World yeah. War Two no World War One oh World War One yeah because that I had the pickle helm oh yeah right? that's right yeah. yeah 
So legit World War One garb, all the wear, everything. And uh, um, on one side of the battlefield was was Ben, and on the other side of the battlefield was um, what the hell was his name? Bill Bowles. Bill Bowles. Yeah. And so they're 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 fighting, and uh, there's like fucking bombs going off, and and you hear bullets and explosions and <coughs> dirt's flying everywhere, and and they're sitting in their trench, and they got this shitty tin cup full of coffee, and then and then uh, Bill Bowles goes, "I'm tired of this coffee. <laughs> I'm tired." Of this coffee, <laughs> and he stands up in the middle of the, in the yep. middle of the, of the of the war, and he's holding this cup, and he's like, "I'm tired of this coffee," mm. and then all the all the shooting stops, right? And you just heard like the wind whistling a little bit. <laughs> yeah. and he's above the rim of the trench, standing there in the death zone, basically. And then you know? he looks around, yeah, and then and then Ben <laughs> in his pickle helm. From across the other side of the field, he stands up in his trench and he says in German, "I'm tired of this yeah. coffee too." Which I don't know any German. I had to get coached on that by Peter's uh, father. Wow, may like you rest in peace. Yes, yeah, yeah. David Etzweiler, he taught me that phrase and taught me how to say it at least passably to play oh, the German. Fun. Yeah, you did great, man. Oh, you did thanks. great. I, I, I by default became the German soldier because I was the only one who could wear the pickle helmet. It was so small. I said earlier that I've got a small, <laughs> small head. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was awesome. It so was then, awesome. what? You just roll up with your no. In in the end of the thing, they're they're both sitting in oh, the same right. trench, right, over a table with the with the coffee coffee mug and it's got a King Louis Java stop yep. sticker on it and we're and just it, laughing they're, they're laughing having a good time and like an old timey radio voice comes on it's like King Louis Java stop <laughs> when yeah. you're tired of your coffee too that's right <laughs> wow. that's right yeah. yeah i still got the, i still got the 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 dvd of it oh in, nice in my yeah you can find it on storage. youtube if you if you look uh, up Peter Etzweiler, you can find find it under his YouTube stuff. But, awesome. Yeah, that's pretty know. cool. It Did it fun. ever land him any gigs? I uh, don't I know. know. I mean, he still works as an assistant director, and I, that was for his director's reel. Oh, okay. Um, but I think, I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter. I don't know. He, you'll have to have him on to talk about this stuff. But he works as an assistant director, and I think he does pretty well as that, and I think he's pretty happy doing that. Nice. It's a little bit different than the director role. Uh, it's more controlling the... The director, I mean, when people think about the director, they're thinking they they yell action and do all that stuff. But I think from what I gather, what Peter does more is he's the one saying, controlling the whole set. So saying, you know, all right, background, roll sound, action. And he does that while the director sits back and kind of looks at the monitors and says, let's let's do that again or let's let's move these people around. Oh, yeah, let's Peter's, Peter's so, the man at the helm. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And he works with a lot of... Big time people. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely texted me and said, "I'm I'm I'm flying to uh, France with my friend George Clooney to film a commercial." Yeah. and so he's definitely on first name basis with people yeah. like George Clooney and stuff. He just pretty cool. He just finished one. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I think it's out and done. I think he just finished one with Brad Pitt. Nice. And and he nice. did one with Jen Aniston. He's been yeah, yeah. yeah he's been yeah. doing all kinds of fun. He shit. hobnobs with some. A-listers. There yeah. you go. Well, he's not here, but you are. No. Yeah. Right, right. So, so if you Ben has some knowledge about the acting game, he's an little, act. He's uh, an actor. I, th- I think you're an actor. No, thank you. Yeah, um, I I make a passable attempt. So, actor, yeah. ultra runner, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, venerable, crazy man, 
and and uh, and on top of that, he he takes care of people and helps people get better on a daily basis. <laughs> so he's this guy does a lot of shit. I, there's he puts most people to shame when it comes to like how busy he is and the things he accomplishes. It's it's impressive. It's impressive. You say that, but then yesterday after our night out, I slept till ten o'clock and I felt like a piece of shit. <laughs> we all have to feel like a piece of shit yeah. sometimes. Okay, so <laughs> I was <laughs> there. You were hanging out, right? When we 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 hung out. We went down to Konamichi, listened to gin chocolate bottle rockets, and uh, had had probably maybe one too many drinks. Came back. It was it was a great time. So was great. like the one too many wasn't like our one too many at our whiskey night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not even close. So you said you feel like a piece of shit. Let me define <laughs> what a piece of shit really is for you. <laughs> I fucking came home. We we came back to my house. We threw a pizza in the oven. Ate, ate a pizza, sat around, shot the shit a little bit, and then it's like it was what 11 o'clock uh, thereabouts. Yeah, I'm like, all right, I'm like, I do, I should go to bed, and he's like, yeah, yeah, me too. So you left, and and, and I'm just kind of cleaning up and getting ready for bed, and I'm like, you know, not that tired. Maybe I'll put on an episode of Game of Thrones. Oh jeez, that's what I'll do. Episode of Game of Thrones. So I go to the couch. And I'm like, yeah, I gotta have a snack if I'm gonna watch Game of Thrones. Well, I had just gone to Costco. Did you kill another steak? No, 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 I did not. <laughs> this is this is like way worse. Costco has these fucking bags. It's like a bushel. It's not even a bag. It's like a bushel of of cheddar caramel corn mix. That's the most amazing shit. It's oh. like crack you've ever seen in your life. So I'm like, oh, I'll just have a little bit of that. So <laughs> eleven night about midnight. I wake up on the couch with a bushel of popcorn <laughs> laying on my chest. Game of Thrones episode, whatever's playing. I'm drooling, and I'm like, you piece of shit. Go nice. to bed. Hand down your pants like Al yeah, Bundy. Right. Yeah, I was, it was like, I felt like such a piece of shit. I was like, are you serious? God, thank God no one can see you right now. It was horrible. You got to do that every now and then. Yeah, I was like, Ugh. So anyway, that's, that's Ben. Hey, everybody. Hey, Ben. Hey, hey ben. everybody. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I uh, I definitely have led an interesting life. I've done a lot of different shit. Um, I don't know if that makes me... Let's talk about where it all began. Where it all began. Um, where, did, where did Little Ben come where from? Where did Little Ben come from? <laughs> well, Little Ben was raised in a family of 10 children. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. My parents were very religious when I was growing up. Kind of a strict non-denominational... Um, and so... No TV in my household until it was, until I'd graduated, and they finally ended up getting one. So yeah, I, <laughs> my childhood was uh, sheltered in a lot of ways, but but uh, I actually remember it pretty fondly because I I read a lot, uh, read voraciously, and was always outside basically. So in the woods, tramping through the bluffs. So uh, I actually feel bad for my kids nowadays that. They don't have more of a childhood like that. Because they're just disconnected from nature? Well, it's, you know, now that they've, the older ones have phones and, and yeah. I mean, I I think my son Finn still spends a lot of time out in nature hunting and fishing and stuff. But they don't, they don't spend anything like the time I did. And I think, I mean, that really made me who I am. And, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was a, it was a good childhood, believe it or not. But. And where, where, where did you, where did you grow up? Well, that's the. 
Good question, because I kind of grew up all over. We, okay. mo- we moved a lot as well. So I was always the new kid, always the, the dorky kid. Got picked on a lot as a, as a kid. Um, but uh, ended up, I started school in Wisconsin, Gay Electric Tremplo School District. Uh, lived in Tremplo up there on the river. And then, uh, so I was born in... Well, it's, it's a circuitous route, trust me. Born in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, when my dad was stationed there. Got out. He got out when I was about six months old. Uh, we moved back to Yakima, Washington, where my parents are from, Apple Country. My mom's dad was an apple rancher. And then we moved out to Wisconsin, and I started school here. I didn't here. know apple ranching. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, A- yeah. That's, apple rancher? Yeah, it has an apple ranch. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. What defines a ranch? What What is that? Like... Like, is it a number of acres that, that makes a ranch a ranch? Well, here we go with amusing. We're well, not, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. like, what's the difference between a ranch and a farm? Or an orchard. Or an yeah. orchard. Or an orchard. Yeah. Well, the ranch consisted of orchards, um, you know, probably several orchards. Like, you know, one side of the road, the other side of the road, maybe. A, yeah. Um, well, like in Texas, know. they have ranchos, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and it was like, those were like, Sections of land from way the fuck back, and they right. call them ranchos, and I think that was a Hispanic term. Well, it, yeah, it's yeah. just a Spanish word for ranch, I believe. Yeah. But, but well, but I, rancho, rancho. Mm-hmm. I think maybe ranch is an English word for rancho. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> maybe that's right, derived from the Spanish word, yeah. most likely. Yeah. So, but it's like, so how did that make it up to Washington State, where they have ranches? Because, like, in the like. When you go to Idaho, there's people that own like thousands of acres, oh, but they don't call it a ranch. Yeah, it's a farm. What do they call it? A farm? I think it's a farm. Oh, yeah, huh. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. W- regarding apples, I've only heard of orchard, but I'm yeah. sheltered yeah. too. So but there are definitely a lot of Mexican people in that area. Though. Oh, they're huge. Yeah, huge a lot of migrant workers that pick the apples and yeah. stuff. So, and they move yeah. around a lot. Yeah, yeah. And migrant. Yes. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the clarity on that. Yeah. Boy, and they move around here, a lot. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah dumbass. It's, uh, hence, hence the name right. migrant. Right. Yeah. Do you even really know what the fuck you're talking about? <laughs> Not really. No. So I'm glad you're here, Ben. Thank you yeah. for clarifying. You bet. Probably. You bet. Yeah. So so anyway, started school in Wisconsin, then moved to Oregon, then to Texas, then back to Wisconsin to Platteville. Started high school in Platteville. My dad actually taught at UW Platteville at that time, freshman sophomore years at Platteville High School, and then back to Galesville, to the Gay Electric Tremplo School District, and graduated with the people that I'd started school with. So, kind of weird yeah. oh, to to meet people. You know, what I moved when I was ten, meet them. I don't know, Eight sixteen, later. yeah, sixteen, seventeen, or six, seven years later, and be like, you know, we went to school together before. You remember me? I know you guys have all formed your cliques and your relationships now, but I'm coming back in and reinserting myself. So that that was weird. But, man, the school district I graduated from is, just to be clear, is Gay Electric Trempolo G-E-T High School. Get high. So, yep, that actually exists in Wisconsin. Wow. And, you know, some of our cheers were, you know, whatever, get high. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. that's fun. All right. It's kind of fun. And we were the Red Men at that time, and that has since changed to the Red Hawks. Now they're a little more politically correct. But <laughs> Everybody's so, got to be politically correct. Yeah, that's to. true. Yeah. Yeah. I was, but that's my yeah. route, yeah. All right. there. Um, and then I'd, I ended up with an, an Air Force ROTC scholarship to the Milwaukee School of Engineering. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. And... Really had no idea. I, I mean, 
not even an inkling. And it would have been nice to have an idea at that time, but I, I didn't. So my dad said, well, why don't you get an engineering degree? You can do anything with that. So I fortunately had pretty good grades and a very good ACT score and um, ended up with an Air Force ROTC scholarship to the Milwaukee School of Engineering. Went, started school there, but out from under my the watchful eye of my parents, I started kind of cutting loose, which happens. Generally, in those situations where you're repressed a bit as a child and and uh, don't get to make those stupid decisions and party a little bit as a teenager, so uh, so had a good time was what you're saying. Yeah, MSOE yeah. wasn't a party school, but Marquette is, and Marquette wasn't too far down the road. So spent a lot of time there, and I, we talked about this yeah. the other night. But ended up getting kicked out of the dorms for a party that I threw. <laughs> Go big or go home. Yeah, hey, hey, you you went big and went, I went home. I went, yes, and then I had no idea what to do, so uh, decided to actually drop out of school. And, How'd your folks react to you getting kicked out of the dorm? You know, I'm sure it wasn't favorably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any specific recollections of how they uh, they reacted. I just know that they were there was a lot of deep disappointment that I've <laughs> incurred in my parents over the years. Yeah. Just deep disappointment. Well, you, you, you grew up like this, this child of nature and, and right. reading and right. more probably docile. And, and then, and then you got a wild streak. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to rebel and I tried to rebel. What do you um, mean you tried? What, like, well, what? I, I was like, I'm going to go do this. No, you're not. So, oh, okay. And when I turned 18, I, I said, so I turned 18 in February of my senior year all right, I'm 18. I'm going to do what I want to do now. No, you're not. You're still not under our, our roof. roof. Yep. So I, I said, fine, I'm moving out. I moved in with a friend of mine. And then I, I, I bought a car and I, I started going to parties and, and being a little bit more of a regular senior. <laughs> so, so you like, how big of a detriment do you think that is to like grow up in Obviously, you got to have the experiences in nature and, and reading and, and not being involved with all the technology when you were growing up. Right. But but also, by the time you got to be 18 and there was this brand new world, you went fucking hard. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, there's got to be some balance, right? It sounds like with your son, Finn, he's getting a, a pretty good balance of nature. I think he's got a much better balance. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were... Definitely pros to it, and and I don't know if if I went back if I would trade it because um, I think it made a huge difference on my ed, my knowledge, just general knowledge, and how I how well I did in school. And but I I I do find sometimes that I don't have the background knowledge that some people have. Like people grew up watching TV, and you know, sure. people talk about a show. I'm like, yeah, I never saw that mm -hmm. unless I've been exposed to it as an adult. There's a lot of cultural things that I am deficient on. But uh, the, the flip side of that is I, I think it helped with my brain development and for lack of, I mean, for, I mean, without wanting to sound pretentious or anything, I think it made a big it's difference on my, <laughs> on my, on my knowledge. And it is great to have that, those years of reading and, and outdoor stuff. I mean, you know, growing up watching a lot of TV doesn't necessarily isn't fortuitous as a child, I guess. But yeah, I think I'm living proof of that, honestly. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Watched yeah. a lot of TV, played right. played Nintendo, yeah. Atari, ColecoVision, yeah. had all that shit. But but yeah, there was definitely elements of like when my kids were growing up, they were less 
involved with technology like you mm-hmm. were. And um, I think that their their development, as far as like their process and their mental process, mm-hmm. was much clearer than mine was growing up. And and they had more more thoughts and ideas and and created their own adventures. And uh, so I, I definitely think like growing up when you're too inundated in technology, it like um, stunts imagination. It right. stunts um, learning to play. Right. Um, just unorganized play is so important for children and that's what we did because it was we were basically ordered go outside and play mm-hmm. okay what does that mean well, so that's one of the things we do mm-hmm. with the yeah. guys when we get to yeah. the camp out first thing we do is they take all their phones yeah and I, i'll never forget they don't know it. how to play that do they but, yeah, well, or a lot of them a, don't. It, it at first they don't right so at first it's just like they're kind of like standing around mm-hmm. like well what do we do so then we start building the fire and we're chopping wood so everybody wants to chop yeah. wood because half of them never swung an axe before in their life. And so that's a little scary. <laughs> they get a safety lesson first. <laughs> yeah, we do. We walk them through it. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget there was, I don't know what year it was, but we were, we showed up and um, we set everything up at the camp. We built a fire. And um, this I look over and there's these two kids and they're, they're sword fighting with the sticks. And they're like 16, 17 years old. Yeah, and they're having fun, and it's like that's it. Holy right shit! There. Like, yep. like that's like that's amazing. You know, they're they're having fun with two sticks. You know, Peter Esweiler and I. Speaking of Peter, we came up with this uh, this gag gift, and it was going to be a stick in a bag. Oh, with, nice! That you hang like at at some store in the Dells. And it's just like the one, the only, the stick for five ninety nine. You can have a sword, a gun, a wand, right. a shovel, uh, this, a, spear, a that, ev- yeah. everything. You know, it's like it's the all in one toy. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever gotten bored with with just mm-hmm. the stick. You know, and so it was like that's we were a, gonna, that's actually a great idea. Yeah, we we're gonna sell it. There, just, there are gifts like that. There are gifts oh, yeah. like that for sure. And yeah, and who it's, knows? It's like just I take st- off stick in a bag. <laughs> Another million dollar idea. Yeah, given away on our podcast. Yeah. We let so many people listen to our show, though. I mean, there's, it's not going to be long. It's going to be out there, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of million dollar ideas on this podcast. Oh, so many. We're we're really should be millionaires at this point. <laughs> this would, is all you we, would think. This is all we really should be doing all day. Oh, is man. just in a in a in a you know a bigger studio. Wouldn't that'd be great. You know, yeah. yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah, we're yeah. going to get a bigger studio. Yeah. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Oh. But you know I have designs on a podcast as well. Oh, too, I know. So, yeah. Yeah. so we can rent yeah. our new studio. Yeah, I'm cool. not trying to piggyback off you or anything like that. But uh, yeah. Well, okay. maybe you'll have more structure. Yeah, you, 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 yeah. For for those of those no for for those of you, which is everybody that wasn't here before we turned the mics on, Ben says. So what's the format? <laughs> That's like ah! a running fucking joke around. What happens here. if I have to take a piss? Yeah. Yeah. Use exactly. the bathroom. Yep. Oh, so Michael Zolper and his family were taking a road trip, and he's like, oh, we listened to your podcast on the road trip. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, boy. And, and he's like, yeah. And he goes, so Violet came up with a new drinking game. I'm like, Or not Violet, Laurel. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, you have to drink every time Mike says fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you would be so drunk. And he's like, he's like uh, yeah, because Violet said that, that you say the word fuck, like a lot of people say the word um. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's pretty well, much right. You should throw a string of them out there right now to help them drink yeah. if they're listening again. Yeah, Ike was like the kid who got permission to swear when we first started it the podcast. It was so bad. Oh, my God. It was it was horrible. I had to really 
tried to <laughs> dial it back. I had no idea. Every other word was fucking. It was so bad. It was like, I, I how many times we talk about it? I'm like, I don't know why I do this. <laughs> it was, it's cathartic. Double motherfucker. <laughs> Speaking of that, Alex kid, we were just talking to you about who, who's a runner. Same situation, you know, he's not given many permissions. And uh, so Friday night when we're going to our camp out, we go to Culver's and Ike's helping him order. Um, there's a few cognitive issues there. And uh, he's like, what do you want? He wanted a cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah, do you want a cheeseburger? Well, I told him he could get. Yeah, he's like, he, he's like, what? What am I? What am I? What am I supposed to do? I'm like, sort of your food, man. Just whatever you want. He's like, whatever. Yeah, and his <laughs> eyes just lit up. Like, wait, whatever? Yeah, like I can get a cheeseburger. Yeah, I can get a double cheeseburger. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I was like, you want ice cream? He goes, wait, I can get a cheeseburger and ice cream. Yeah. That like must be awesome for It was him. awesome. Yeah. And it was just a progression. But anyways, we get to the camp out, and we're like, look, fellas, we're not in the club. Yeah. We're in the woods. You know, if you feel like you need to swear, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so exactly the situation with Ike in this podcast, he just like, wait, we can swear? Right. Yeah. Fuck. She just looks around like, yeah, man, you said the F word. Good job. <laughs> and it was, we're sitting around the fire, and I forgot what happened. And he's just having a ball, and he comes out and he goes, double motherfucker. <laughs> like, and he got this grin on his face, like this kid who just got away with, with like, top secret oh, evidence. It was, just, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, and he's just so like, fun. Nobody knows what I just did. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So, Ben, I saw you had uh, an ambulance jacket, so I'm oh. guessing the life-saving job is oh. EMT work? I did do that for a while. Um that that's a fairly old jacket, actually. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been an EMT for uh, about fourteen years or so. Um, I'm a nurse currently. Okay. Uh, made it, so I I ended up getting the engineering degree that I talked about uh, after I went in the military and to the army. Served in uh, First Ranger Battalion down in Savannah, Georgia, Hunter Army Airfield, and got out and then restarted the engineering degree. This time a mechanical instead of electrical. And I did end up graduating in 2002 with that and worked as an engineer for a while. But uh, I hated sitting at a desk all day, which I know I can use someone who knows me probably understands yeah. that. Yeah, totally. uh, I'm, a, I'm a people person and I'm pretty energetic and the job just didn't agree with me. And I started doing fire and ambulance on the side um, as a volunteer firefighter and volunteer EMT and realized I needed to make a career change. So after losing my engineering job uh, because of losing too much money on a project that I was in charge of, I decided to go through with the career change and decided to get an en- or a nursing degree. Okay. So ended up graduating from UW-Madison with a nursing degree in 2012, and I've been a nurse for the last 10 years. And currently I teach clinical uh, for herzing right now, a, a nursing school here in the Madison area. So you've been a nurse for 10 years. I've been a nurse for 10 years already. Okay. But so you became a nurse and then within 10 years now you're teaching. Like how did you, how did that transition Uh, happen? It's kind of an interesting progression. I, I, I've always gravitated towards teaching. Most of my time has been in the ER uh, as an ER nurse. And during that time in the ER, I had several, I would have nursing students shadow me sometimes. Like a lot of times nursing students have shadow opportunities and, and uh, if they asked for a volunteer, who wants to take the nursing student today? <laughs> I, I, I loved doing that. I liked kind of showcasing my skills, 
whatever, just, I don't know. I like the teaching aspect. So had several semester long nursing students while I was an ER nurse. So grading them through the whole semester, they shadowed me the whole semester, worked with me. Um, and, uh, and then I, I also ended up teaching, uh, what was called PMDB. So that's prevention and maintenance of disruptive behavior. And this was at the VA hospital where I spent a, quite a bit of my nursing career. And that's their, their, um, verbal de-escalation and physical skills that they teach their employees. So if there's some kind of altercation between a, an unruly patient or visitors or whatever staff, you know, hopefully never at that, but <laughs> what to do, how to, how to talk somebody down, how to, how to, it, you know, it's just those, that verbal judo kind of stuff. And then, and then it, how to possibly take someone down and hold them. If, if it comes to that, if someone becomes too aggressive and they need to be given an emergency injection or something like that. So I, I did get into teaching that really enjoyed that. And then I, I spent some time as a, as a nurse manager, as a house supervisor, kind of got into leadership positions and, and uh, still really gravitated towards the, the teaching stuff. And, and uh, yeah, this is just kind of where I en ended up. And I don't have my master's degree. I worked on it for a little while. I got a couple classes into it, but uh, I don't, it doesn't require it for this position, teaching clinicals. And I don't know if I... <laughs> If I'm going to go back and get it, we'll see. I spent a lot of time in school in my life, and, and uh, it, it would be fortuitous to do it, but but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Everything's still kind of up in the air. And and for the moment, I'm content teaching, uh, and it's it's a pretty decent schedule. It it pays decently, and, and it's fairly there's quite a bit of job satisfaction or at least there can be, it has a potential for that. So I, I thought you, <laughs> you, so Ben wiped the table right before he said there's quite a bit of, I thought you were going to say there's quite a bit of dust. It was <laughs> <laughs> really kind Possible. of a filthy yeah. fucking place. <laughs> you fuckers, Who's you know, housekeeper? when, when <laughs> we look at yeah. this kind of stuff, <laughs> he's looking around, what the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> <laughs> so no, not at all. You were um you're also an, you were an army ranger, correct? That's correct. Airborne ranger? Yes, that's oh, correct. Okay. Yeah. And and then how many years were you doing that? I spent 4 years active. Okay. And so you did you did a lot of jumps and all that. I did quite a few jumps, probably 30 jumps or so. I was in both out of uh planes and helicopters. They're all static line jumps unless you go to the military um free fall school, the Halo school, high altitude low opening. Um, which I did not do that. And I've, I've gone civilian skydiving a couple times since I got out. There were tandem jumps. I haven't worked on getting certified on that and doing So what, what's a, what's, own, what's that, what line, what's that called? Static uh, line? Static line. So that's so. where you're clipped. So you have a, um, a line that's connected to the, the parachute that you wear on your back. And that's clipped into a, a wire that runs the length of the plane. And then as you waddle out the door because that's what you do with all that equipment on you waddle and basically throw yourself out the door you free fall for maybe two seconds and then the the chute is pulled out by the static line mm. and and then it opens and you check your risers and check your canopy and make sure everything's good to go and then <laughs> then you you know 
float down to the ground and float to the hit, ground float and hit like a sack of shit those those jumps don't they're they're a little bit the the way you see somebody land as a civilian skydiving with the the shoots that you can flare as you land and control it, them. yeah control them a little bit more um it, it, it's not quite like that on the static line jumps you you hit pretty hard and and what? usually the jumps are at night because that's yeah, yeah you're, you're, we're all you're the American military enemy territory, right? Well, the, the American military owns the night, so almost all operations are conducted at night, mm-hmm. and so you you end up hitting the ground without being able to see it, and so sounds amazing. Yeah, like it's, like why don't why doesn't why doesn't civilians why doesn't do it everybody that do they, that? They yeah. should jump in, into yeah. the middle of the night. Yeah. So, do you ever like land in trees or anything like that? I was fortunate enough never to land in trees. I I know people who did. I I've there was a guy, so I had two different, ep- uh, I guess you could call them episodes on two different jumps. I had a guy in front of me really injure himself badly and a guy behind me really injure himself badly. One of the, I don't remember which was which, but we jumped into Puerto Rico and did a month long um, deployment there, training there. And on that jump, a guy right behind me or in front of me in the line going out the plane landed on the edge of a ravine or something and like fell down into the ravine and 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 broke his uh back i believe Holy and then shit. yeah and then uh on another jump this was a, a night jump the guy a guy close to me in line also landed into in uh, a tree and when you when you get close to the ground you you're supposed to pull a just kind of a release and it drops your rucksack which you have an 80 pound rucksack or whatever that's that's clipped up underneath your reserve, which is in front of you. And so that's one of the reasons you're waddling because you have this rucksack on you. And you're supposed to drop that down on the end of a lowering line. It's about a 10 foot lowering line. So you don't land with that between your legs. Cause obviously that's, you'd be much more injury prone. So you, when you get close to the ground about treetop level, you pull that lowering line, the rucksack drops down and then it hits and you hit. Well, his, his rucksack got caught in one tree. So at, you know, on the lowering line and this shoot got caught in another and he was suspended upside down in the trees. And then I, I, I remember hearing we were gathering up our shoots and all that stuff in nighttime. And I remember seeing flashlights over in the trees. And then I remember hearing a kind of an unearthly scream and a thud and, and he hit the ground. He oh, did break shit. his neck and, and ended up um, getting medically discharged. But I mean, he was, he lived and he was, was he walking. Um, Later on, I, you know, I saw him wow. later walking with the Haley, you know, the halo on and everything. Jesus. But yeah, so those jumps, you're a little more prone to injury. And I, I certainly, I have arthritis in my ankles um, that at least in part is, you know, can be attributed to that, to, to landing and rolling and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, and some, some back issues, but I've never let it slow me down. I've been fortunate enough that it hasn't really slowed me you're down. You're like but David Goggins. You go, you're like go through. <laughs> I the would pain. not compare myself to Goggins, but but uh, that guy's that guy's uh, off the charts as far as whatever pain, dri- pain drive, management, yeah, pain right, management, yeah. and drive, and that guy's insane. everything. But yeah. yeah. So four years in the Rangers. Yeah. And yeah. so we, okay, so I'm curious. When you went to Puerto Rico, you said you were on a, a one month deployment. So mm-hmm. when you when you fucking drop in does your deployment start then like like are you like on your own you gotta well, get yourself to a we were not our point? own we were 
there as a as a whole right battalion but, so you you jump in with your with your squad and you, then you you hump to the that's the, the yeah what they say hump to the you throw your gear on and hump to where we're, where we're staying we stayed in some old military barracks there and we did a bunch of missions and stuff while we were there so some of the time you spent you know in garrison there doing whatever so my actual job my MOS military occupational specialty was radio repair. So when I was in garrison um, and not out in the field on a mission or whatever, I was repairing radios or night vision equipment. So night vision goggles, night vision scopes, that kind of stuff. And then out in the field, generally my job would be as an RTO. So a radio telephone operator. So humping the radio and being on the radio, being the guy that always gets shot in the movies, like you know, trying to <laughs> trying to call in fire support or whatever. <laughs> You're the guy that gets shot. Yeah, I'm the guy that gets shot right right through the radio or whatever, you know. So so when a guy gets you know. hurt like that, mm-hmm. like if they fall and they get hurt, broke your back, broke your neck, you guys got to like stabilize him, get him, and then hump did, him out. Like, yeah, I'm, I didn't have anything to do with that at that time, um, but yeah, I mean there are medics, so so yeah, but I then mean, you got to get him to the barracks. Because, they would have right. Yeah, they would have. I don't know exactly what happened. I just heard about it later because it wasn't in my periphery on the jump. Like I was taking care of myself. We jumped in at night. You gather up. You you land. You make sure you're okay. You gather up your chute and you probably. I don't remember exactly how that one worked, but we probably dropped off the chutes somewhere on the drop zone, and and then then we did a you know twelve mile road march or whatever to the barracks. And and I just remember hearing about it later that so and so. And you know, ended up breaking their back. So, I'm I'm sure there were medics who attended to him, put him on a backboard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, got him into. There, I'm sure they had to call an ambulance or get some kind of vehicle there to get him to a to a hospital. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wish I knew more about it. Or, well, maybe I don't, but <laughs> I, I wasn't involved I'm on just, that stuff. Picture like so, you're the radio guy. Yeah. Like, we need a medevac now. Yeah, but yeah. See, I, I mean, I wasn't. I'm sure there were there were jump controllers who were more in charge of the drop zone and stuff. So my, my mission, my, my radio operating stuff wouldn't have started until we got in and got to where we were going. And then, but yes, you're right on a, on an actual, like a combat mission. Um, then yes, you would have landed and been on the radio right away and stuff. I, yeah, I don't have real clear recollections of, of how that all went. I mean, this was in 90, 98 maybe so this was i mean this is like 25 years ago yeah which is hard to hard to imagine it was that long ago yeah sometimes it seems like yesterday and other days it's like whoa (laughs) yeah yeah so it's like where the fuck is Rayule? We need to- <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> yeah, that was fun getting yelled at by drill sergeants in uh, in basic training and stuff. Riley, yeah, Ruley. So my dad has my dad was also in the army and he had some great stories about drill sergeants. He always seemed to have better stories than me, which is I don't know why. Maybe it's because he went. He was in in the early seventies, you know, and and uh, I mean I've I have some good stories, but but um. He just he just had funny ones. I don't I don't know. I grew up listening to my dad's stories about about him growing up as a kid and him in the military and and he grew up in the you know like Cowichi, Washington, so outside of Yakima, like the heart, the very heart of Apple Country, and grew up on a ranch or whatever you want to call <laughs> it. So his his parents weren't weren't apple farmers or ranchers, but. Um, 
but yeah, he, my uh, grandpa on on my dad's side is a gun collector, and <laughs> and my dad grew up roaming the the like the hills out there, and you know with guns and his his two brothers, and he had a, he had a sister as well, but it was mainly him and his the three boys out there. He has some great stories, and it'd be fun to. Yeah, he'd be a fun one to have on a podcast, and and uh, maybe he'll be your first guest. Maybe yeah, he'd be your first guest. On that would podcast. be that would be fun. Yeah, yeah. So is, so he writes plays, right? Your, My dad, your dad writes dad does, plays. Yeah. He so does. is that how you got into theater? Was through no, your dad? because that that didn't start until recently. He's only his first play was uh, produced in 2017. I, I believe. Oh that no he, he wrote his first play in 2017. He's he. Uh, my dad is one of the most educated people I know. He's got three master's degrees and a doctorate, and Holy and shit. and he. I mean, my, I have a I have a very interesting resume, but it's nothing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I guess I feel like it's nothing compared to my dad's. He, I I have five kids. He has ten. <laughs> he he has all this education. He's done a, a little bit of everything too, and and been very upwardly mobile in his career. Um, and has owned his own business a couple times and he does right now he does consulting. I mean, he's partially retired, um, but he still does a lot of consulting and he does, what he does is talent management, which I don't know a whole lot about, but I guess the gist of it is that he goes into companies. Uh, I think he just, he just had a consulting job for, um, a hospital or a, a health care organization in, down in the Bahamas. And he goes in and he tells them, or he, he, helps them find the right people to match up with their their executive positions. So so that's that's kind of what he does now. Like a headhunter kind of guy? Uh, yeah. And okay. and and I, you know, forgive me for not knowing more in depth what he does. He you would have to ask him specifically or or I'd have to do some more research on it. But that he basically does talent, you know, talent acquisition, talent management. Um but he's he's always written. He he's written several books and he wrote a novel I don't know, a year, maybe twenty years ago, and then he wrote the screenplay for the novel, and and sent it off and tried to get that made, and and that never happened. But then somehow he got into writing plays, and he's had he's had notable success uh, with his plays. He's had one produced off Broadway in in Manhattan. Um, I went and saw that, and uh, he's had one produced in Pennsylvania, one produced out in Florida, or two produced out in Florida now. Uh, one of which I was fortunate enough to be a part of. And so he lives in, in Fond du Lac now and, and, and spends a good portion of his day writing. He's a very driven person. I'm sure he's up already this morning and writing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I got none of that talent as far as, as writing goes. I, I, I enjoy writing, but I don't, I just do not have that writer's knack. Um, but I, I do act and I, that started in high school, drama, you know, like, oh, well, actually it started in, in I tell, I'll take it back, uh, in grade school, in Trempolo Elementary, I played the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. We did a musical. <laughs> I still, someone posted a picture on our on our high school uh, class Facebook page of me as the Tin Man, and yeah, that was, I had to sing a solo. Yeah. Really? Interesting, yeah. What was that like? I, I, and I, I had a crush on so Dorothy. so fucking frightening. Oh, of course yeah. you had a- yeah, the, the girl who played Dorothy was like my my grade school crush. It's hilarious, but um, I I'm sure it was terrifying <laughs> as a third grader or fourth grader to to have a solo. Yeah, but 
I really don't have many memories of it. I just okay. remember that it happened. So it must have been, I must have managed the fear somehow and had some, gotten some kind of enjoyment out of it because it's not like I wake up screaming thinking about that memory. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> it's, it's not a nightmare, a recurring nightmare that I have. But that was my introduction to uh, performing in front of an audience of some sort. And then I don't remember doing any more of that until I got into back to Gay Electric Tremolo as a junior. And then I, I was in several plays as a junior and senior in high school and enjoyed that. I was a, a total nerd, geek, band geek, whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I, I ran cross country and track. My parents would not let me play football at that time. I did taekwondo um, outside of school. And, and then in school, I was in like National Honor Society and a quiz, high quiz bowl, which was like the quiz club. Ooh, and high quiz bowl. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> right? Damn. Yeah. Nerd, <laughs> no, nerd no, band. It's, 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 <laughs> that's like, that's like a... How to pick up chicks. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. How to, yeah. yeah. It's, just like, it's like Revenge it's like, of the Nerds, man. You may have never yeah. heard of it, but I was part of the I was high part of the high quiz bowl team. <laughs> Not many yeah. people know this yeah. about me, but. Yeah. <laughs> and drama just naturally fit right into those categories. So band geek, drama geek. Um, you need a card. That's yeah. A, you need a little <laughs> card that says, you know, all the things, you know, and the high quiz bowl is in bold. Right, right. <laughs> right at the top. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously in the military, I didn't do any acting. and then But then when I got out and started engineering school at UW-Platteville, I decided to take an intro to theater course. Uh, like, hey, I remember I, I used to act. This is, this is interesting. And I took that and then took an acting class and started to really enjoy it. And then did some productions, a couple productions there at, at UW-Platteville. And then it's kind of continued from there. And stage uh, gave way to screen over time, I think, Probably the first thing was that commercial um, oh, really? that we did. I, I I believe so. I believe that was the first thing I did on that wasn't on stage. And that, I mean, obviously an experience like that is, that hooks you. Oh, you know, so it, was, it was so much fun. And, and acting for a camera is totally different. And, and I mean, they are so so diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, but so similar. And, and they each take their own unique set of skills and I enjoy each one. I don't, I really don't know which one I enjoy more. I, I tend to, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to continue to do both uh, as an adult. And, and I generally have people ask me to be in things. Um, I mean, I do audition still. Uh, I've just been very, very fortunate with people saying, "Hey, I'm directing this play. You know, you want to audition?" And you know, and do, do you feel like that, like the acting scene around here is kind of lean, and so like maybe there's not a, or do you? <laughs> maybe that's why I get cast. <laughs> that, <laughs> Thank you, Ike. That's one way to put it, Ike. Jeez. Well, okay, so let's let's, no. let's dial so back. Do you, the do you think that maybe comments. you just actually suck? Do you think you just get no, defaulted no. into positions? No, I'm just saying like it was an opportunity. Like somebody, people know you act. Like every, everybody I know that knows you knows yeah. that yeah. you're an actor. Right. You know, and so it's just like whenever there's a play that comes up, they obviously want people that can act. They don't want Joe Schmo. And yeah. so they're like, hey, we sh we know Ben acts and we've yeah. seen him in this and this and this. And so it's like, oh. you know. Well, I, I've definitely been led to believe from numerous people that, but that, uh, as far as male actors in the Baraboo area, we're a little more lean, I guess you could say. Um, when they when they they're casting a production, they generally well, don't have as much talented male actors. Well, I, I don't. That's know. What I'm saying. I mean, they they don't have as hard a time casting the female roles, but finding finding men who 
you know, and and maybe the, I, I guess that it's possible that that's the way it is with theater in general. Not as many men tend to gravitate towards it, but I I don't I don't know. Uh, Dude, when I saw it, so he he did uh, Shakespeare abridged. Oh yeah, and it's um, a fun show. It, I've never like you blew me away. Oh, I, I had no okay. idea, like, of your chops at that time. And and have you ever seen Shakespeare Abridged? Nope. So the Reduced Shakespeare Company are the ones who did this show. What they did is uh, they do kind of, they revamp other shows. So they did, they took take all of Shakespeare's plays and do it in 97 minutes or whatever. That's the premise of the show. So it's three actors playing all the parts. So the, they do all the comedies as a, uh, well, they do Othello as a rap, and they do uh, the second. The second act is all is all Hamlet, but the first act is all of the comedies and all the other tragedies, all all combined into whatever. And and uh, then the second act, they do Hamlet, and it's compressed, and then they do it again faster, and then they do it again faster, and then they do it backwards. So it's a it's a madcap, uh, crazy amount of costume changes, playing a bunch of different characters. It's it's and the lines, hilarious. Like, the but yeah, the, the so memory good. and the cadence, and like you were oh. brilliant. You were oh, brilliant thanks. in that. Thank you. I got. Yeah. I played the character that plays all the women characters. So I I was wearing numerous wigs and skirts and and having to do so many quick costume changes. It's a very physical show and a very physical role. And I I do enjoy physical uh, comedy and and uh, tend to be a fairly physical actor. And so it, it suits me well. And it was. Yeah, well, I, di- I didn't actually know you were at that show, so that's cool. I'm it glad was you awesome, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah. it was so I, awesome. It was actually the second time I... Did you see it in, in the theater, or did you see it outside? Outside. At, oh, you saw it? Okay. Yeah. When me and D. Lance Marsh and... Yeah. 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 Okay, so then we did it again. Bill and Molly and I did oh, it. Oh. But did it in 2015. I, I saw them both. You saw them both? I saw okay. them both. Okay. I did. Yeah. Because I, re- I remember the one outside... But yeah. then I also remembered you did it with Bill. Yeah. So yeah, I, I right. saw both of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was so. It was such a fun show, man. I would love to do it again. That's a show. That, uh, though some of the stuff gets outdated. Um, you remember I came on stage as an audience member. I started out in the mm-hmm. audience yeah. and and get called up and have some note cards to start telling about Shakespeare's life and and they've updated the script and made it with a phone and and whatever. But I I really have a fondness for the original script and the original production that they did the reduce Shakespeare Com- Shakespeare company did and nobody can top them but I'm glad you enjoyed <laughs> yeah, it that's fun <laughs> did you ever do any plays or anything like that when you were young no 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 theater like no what about like classroom plays Christopher Columbus shit did you ever do anything? I don't even think so no I was in like fifth grade chorus Hey, that's, Ooh, that's something. No solos. Don't worry. <laughs> no. <laughs> no solos. Yeah, I don't know how I got a solo at in third grade or fourth grade. Yeah, well, I don't obviously think I could they, sing back then. They recognized talent when they saw it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's I think they 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 foresaw they like, the future. Total drama and band geek in the making right here. <laughs> got them hooked. <laughs> You're going to be the tin man. You keep oh. saying geek. I I think that like it, there's it used to be a geek. Like mm-hmm. it used to be a thing. I think anymore. I think like people who are in the arts, I think they, there's a little more appreciation for that. Yeah. You know, I really do. Well, okay, let me tell you this, and then then rethink that. My first concert, the Canadian Brass, oh. at the Overture Center, or maybe was it the Overture Center back then? It was in like '92 as a senior. Okay. I got to borrow my dad's car and drive down with a couple other band guys. Uh huh. To from 
from Galesville down to Madison to see the Canadian Brass. That was my first concert. The three. Okay. Was <laughs> so, it? Was it like? Were you guys? Was it pretty exciting? And, and like, we were oh fangirling, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. So wait, we what? were. Yeah, we were pretty geeky, pretty nerdy. <laughs> I still love the Canadian Brass, but it's like I look back on that and I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, wow. I, I think if I'd have I saw could have been at Alpine Valley can, seeing Metallica and Canadian Guns N' Roses or something. Bill, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I'd have been like, mm, nah. well, my parents would let me go to that. Oh, that was sure. the thing. They oh. wouldn't let me go to like Alpine Valley and see GNR or something like that, which is what I would have loved to do. But so that's when you say yes, we are absolutely going yep. to Canadian Brass. Right, right. Here's you know? the tickets. Yeah. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. yeah, and then you have someone bring you back oh. one of the flyers from the thing. Right, and, right. Yeah. Then. Then you go see Metallica. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that would have been sweet. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you go to like concerts and shit much when you were young? Uh yeah, more when I was like able to drive, mm -hmm. for sure. But yeah, I was I kinda was able to do more of what I wanted. So yeah. we I'd go down to Milwaukee to like Summerfest a couple times. There's a couple nice. summers. Um we were lucky enough where like one parent would take our little group of friends. So like I went and saw Chili Peppers in Milwaukee and oh, then sweet. Minneapolis. Nice. Um, once I was eighteen, we'd go to like down to the rave in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. and, like see like the more heavier bands like Soulfly and and shit like that. And then we got really into Soulfly. And then their guitarist Mark Rizzo was doing a private show at what the time was Blue Chalk Club in Madison. Blue Chalk. Or it was a pool club, and they had an upstairs that was like a really intimate bar and stage. Oh, that and my, sounds cool. Yeah, but two 18-year-olds who scored tickets, and so there's only like 30 people in this room, all of whom were adults, <laughs> and then two 18-year-olds watching Rizzo just launch it on his guitars. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> awesome. Oh, that had to have been like such a surreal experience for you at 18. Yeah, man. It was like, we have arrived. It was it was legit. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. What's the rave club like? I've never been in it. Is it like super seedy? It seems like it's like from There's the like, outside. You know, the main stage, It's it just smells like weed probably. Um, <laughs> but it's big and everyone's close and it just depends on the band. But they've got like little, it's been years. I feel like it was like a hallway with like a stage and a hallway kind of thing. Like really? smaller bands and you could just... Mm chilling some of them but the caveat was my buddy was going to marquette at the time and we were staying in his dorm and we were hungry afterwards and there's a taco bell outside the raven we're like oh yeah we'll just stop and grab some taco bell on the way over and goes no 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 he goes last night two people got shot there man <laughs> he goes we'll just order <laughs> in one. we'll order in it's all good <laughs> oh, that's a super sketchy part of town yeah it really is like that area is like i'd never been there till connor and i went to eric church oh, and then and it was yeah. like where the fuck are we like it was our my hotel was there it's right across the street from the rave mm -hmm. club and i'm oh. like this seems super <laughs> sketchy connor's like are we cool <laughs> yeah so i don't know how, i don't know what it is now man it's been fuck years i still see a lot of announcements of people playing there yeah yeah a lot of people still play there i mean it's busy but yeah some decent acts too but yeah it's like you gotta have security or some shit yeah every time we went there it was more like the heavy metal kind of stuff so mm -hmm. yeah yeah the bled the, the the bled yeah dude that was the name of the band the bled one of them yeah wow did you ever go to the safe house when you were there no okay so there's a there's a bar, I guess, called the Safe House, and it had. I, we never managed to get in when I was there, but obviously we were underage too. But um, 
had some kind of secret password. There okay. Was, there was a whole like really? secret society thing way to get in there called the safe house. Yeah. It was kind of this urban legend that you heard about, but oh, it actually awesome. existed. Yeah. And I, I suppose there we go with the musings again. I don't know anything, <laughs> anything further about it. I just know that it existed and we were all about, oh, we should go try and get in the safe house. <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's, that's like, that would be a goal. Of yeah, legit. absolutely. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you're 18 or 19, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like you've heard, you've heard stories, yeah. rumors about right. the, this place. And it's mm-hmm. like, we need to go. And so it's yeah. probably, that was probably like on everybody's list at yeah. that time <laughs> is to like, you know, do you know anybody's been in the safe right. house? Like, what's it like, you know, right. try to right. get in there. I've seen like vi- like videos of like underground raves that they'll throw where like you have to go through a, a like a, a laundromat mm-hmm. and you go through the back door of the laundromat and it takes you to this fucking parking garage mm-hmm. when there's this rave going on but you can't hear it because it's underground and all this shit and it's just like that sounds yeah it sounds like that <laughs> secret knocks and shit <laughs> right know? right you got to slip yeah. something under the door that oh, you were I given bet. you know or whatever it is I bet you need to grease their palms a little bit yeah. too yeah yeah. No, as an underage kid, I mean, we drank, but it was never actually at a bar. I don't, I never had a fake ID or anything. Hmm. Well, so. I think back in the day, fake IDs were harder to get than they are. Yeah, now. yeah. And, oh, I bet. And I mean, honestly, everyone's parents were like, "If you're gonna do it, we know you're gonna go do it. Just do it at one of our houses." Right. But there was less. You know, now you see signs like, "If you're the host of the party or whatever, you're responsible." And yep, it was less like that at the time. It was yeah. more like, "Look, just we want you to be safe. Go to the basement." Mm-hmm. And well, and even the cops were like more chill about it. it's like yeah. we know you're all gonna drink you know and it's just like so like we'd rather like they i think they would probably prefer parents to let their kids drink at their basement right than have them out on the road yeah or you know, you know have to bail out a window and run through a fucking cornfield oh, right yeah, yeah well, exactly. that was always fun though that was that was like that was exciting running from the cops so yeah <laughs> it was oh, yeah. was it man? no but it kind of was though there's an adrenaline rush to it as long as you got away it was always oh, yeah. cool yeah, yeah i suppose for sure yeah. never tell you when i was visiting my buddy in cali uh san diego i was 18 and we got we had to run from the cops no oh fuck so i had long hair at the time like you know shoulder length long he hair. was a punk i was a punk <laughs> and uh his dad lived in this little condo place and so they had the bright idea we we're gonna get some fucking tacos and coronas and chill out in the condo pool well there's a curfew to the pool obviously and it was my buddy his friend and then both their girlfriends so i was like fifth wheeling it at that time uh but anyways we were sitting in the pool we were drinking coronas eating tacos sinking the bottles to the bottom of the pool and shit and the cop comes by and uh you know asking us questions and we knew we were in trouble already so we fucking bail and uh, I'm hiding in. Wait, like, wait. He's talking to you, and you d- turn around and run. Yeah, because there's two entrances to the pool. Oh, like, nice! Holy shit! Like, so that's just- ballsy, man. <laughs> like, I always ran when I knew they were on their way. <laughs> well, we, did, we, we the way it was set up is like in the pool behind us was all like the condos. Yeah, and then like in a U shape was a parking lot. So he came from one side. And we left the other side with the condos. Okay, so it's hard to explain, I guess. But anyway, so we bail, and I'm in the condo. How it worked is they had like half level condos, so you had to like go down a flight of steps or half flight of steps Mm -hmm. to get. So we're in someone's flight of steps. There's four of us. One one person took off the wrong way, and uh, we were just sitting there. And he happens to pull up in his car, and another officer pulls up, and they're talking. He goes, "Yeah, there's three girls and two guys." 
And I knew because I was the guy with long hair yeah. that he had that wrong. So I jumped up out of the fucking basement. So I was like, I'm a fucking dude. <laughs> that was fucking slick, buddy. That was pretty slick. Yeah, and then we had to run again. Yeah, of course you did. Did you get away? We did. Oh, I'm a fucking dude. Uh, do <laughs> disparage me. <laughs> get, it, get it right, dickhead. Yeah. So that's kind of awesome. It was pretty awesome, but when I actually thought about it, I was there was only two 18 year olds and I was 18 and there's a lot of counts that could have went against us you know underage mm -hmm. drinking trespassing technically vandalism technically mm -hmm. possession technically evading police I'm like ooh yeah but it's five or six things yeah. that technically yeah. you wouldn't have a badass fucking story to tell either true except for my buddy who went the wrong way was running across like the concrete walls that separate the highway and the condoplex and jumped off and landed on someone's anger on sprinkler. Oh, so when the four of us got away after I jumped out of the little basement thing, he ended up calling us. We had to go find him cause his fucking foot was bleeding. Cause he jumped on a sprinkler. <laughs> Jesus Christ. See, yeah. he's got a scar even, yeah. even better, even better. Then that same trip was the one that we rented the motel in a really shitty part of town. We had to find the cheapest motel because we we're going to throw a motel party. It was just me and one other guy who were 18. So we go up to the lady at the counter and I'm like, yeah, do you got any rooms for a night? Because it was like $49 a night. That's the kind oh, of place we're at. that's legit. Right there. She goes, it's just got one bed. It's a king-size bed. And we did this. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> and uh, she's like, it just has one bed. I'm like, yeah, we heard the first time. We'll take it. Sounds great. Not so we had... Butt. She's like, we don't, we don't, we don't allow your kind. In Anyways, here. that's the night that I, I passed out on when hotels used to have the, like the wire rack where you could put a luggage thing oh, that was yeah, bolted yeah, yeah. on yeah, top of the yeah. wall. That's where I slept. You slept on the wire rack. Did Fuck you, yeah. Did you put something on it or did you just like no, have just that like, like wire on, on your face? Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. Curled up. Nice. That's my, that's, that's my like something rebellious, out of a movie. That's like that's my rebellious times. Nice. So, nice. yeah. See, I did cool stuff. Yeah, Gosh. yeah you were you weren't a nerd. <laughs> I remember climbing into a. I was at some party in down in Savannah when I was stationed down there, and and I, I'm I don't know if I was underage at the time still yet or not. It doesn't really factor into the story, but I was climbing into a second story window for some reason at this party. Wait, and, and climbing got, like up scaling the wall? Well, there were grates over the over. There were grates. That's kind of on the on the on the building on the like the facade of the building had iron oh iron okay railings or whatever so i remember climbing up and then i slipped and fell and ended up impaling my hand Oof. and kind of hanging there holy shit yeah and i still i still have a just a little scar there on my palm from that but i ended up having to go to the oh. er and get that sewn up but yeah that's fun you just, nice. i've seen like you see that in movies yeah just, yeah just you know pop into a Bad. bedroom up there my hand bleeding and some couples having sex up there or whatever you know like, hey what's up that's that's not the part i was talking about i was talking about the gore of the hand yeah, going through the pike yeah like like how yeah. and then how do you explain that to yeah i mean it didn't i don't think it went all the way it didn't go all the way through but oh. i was i was you were know, sitting there you were stuck yeah like oh yeah you had some fancy. I had some. I, f I was running really fast and I fell and there's something sharp on the ground. Right. Oh, I'm sure I it. had some story because, yeah, when you're in the military, you get injured. It's not like you can show up to work or whatever and be like, you know, oh, I was partying and I did this. And you have to. Yeah. 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 You're kind of your government property. You can't go injuring yourself. And <laughs> you know, the stories 
you come up with when you're a kid that seem like so, so fucking logical they're, yeah, they're yeah terrible. it's like it's like the worst the like like we think we're so smart when we're kids like like oh yeah they'll oh totally God. fucking buy this our parents are idiots right. <laughs> it's just like so bailey and a buddy of his they were teenagers for sure i'm trying to think like if they were 14 or 15 and uh and they decide like um they were staying with a friend and uh they're like yeah, my dad's got a, not, not me, the friend's dad's got a cooler of beer in his garage. It's like, oh, we should go have a beer. It's like, yeah. So they go out and they have a beer. And now they're already buzzing hard because they're teenagers who've never drank. So they're having a beer. Like, oh, man, my dad's got, he's got booze in his house. So then they got the idea they're going to come to my house. So they come to my house and they, and they get into this bottle of tequila and so they start drinking some tequila, and they're like, oh, we should walk over to this house. And it's like, yeah. So then they go to another place, and in, in the process of going to the third house, one of the kids throws up all over himself, like all up and down his shirt, right? So then it's like they, go, they end up going back to the original house that they were going to, but, but the parents locked the doors to the house while they were gone, thinking they were in the basement where they were saying they were going to be. So they had to sleep on the sun porch. And so <clears throat> Bailey's mom calls me at like, I don't know, 930 in the morning. She's like, is Bailey with you? I'm like, no, he was with you. And she's like, she's like, well, he was staying at this house, and now this, they can't find him. I'm like, what do you mean they can't find him? I was like, they can't find any of the boys. I'm like, what, what do you mean they can't fucking find our kids? And so then we start searching for our kids everywhere, and then they wake up on the sun porch, knock on the door, and they're like, hey, can we come in? <laughs> He's he's covered in puke, so he changed his shirt. And the story was that the that their friend's cat threw up on top of him uh-huh. while he was asleep. <laughs> it's like, oh, that happens all the time. Totally, like, at that much volume. Yeah, yeah. The cat crawled onto your chest and yacked a huge amount of vomit all over <laughs> your shirt, and that's why you had spaghetti to noodles your shirt. and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. corn, yeah. like whatever it was, and, and it's just like, and he, like he's he every house he went to, he's like, oh yeah, I can't believe, man, this cat threw up all Fucking over me and, 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 he, and we're like he overplayed it oh then. yeah because we're, we're 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 feeding them in you know it's yeah. just like no way really i've never had that happen to me before that's so crazy <laughs> and they're like yeah it was so weird i don't know like i don't even know what it got into and everything and then finally like we we told them we knew what was going on it was fucking hilarious so yeah just yeah. idiots yeah kids are idiots oh, i yeah. was an idiot i was an idiot 100%. oh oh i was too yeah yeah and yeah I got a 16-year-old son who's a little bit of a bonehead right now. See? That's the thing. You got a couple boys. <laughs> good kid, they're but a bonehead. Be, they're going to be boneheads someday. Yeah. He's a good kid. Yeah. They're good kids. He's, good he's a good kids. good kid, good kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm i excited for you for when your boys get older. I am not I want to. I, I want to hear the stories because I, like, I get to relive some of that because mine will be long gone. You know, as far as like the stories go, so he's got a couple of young boys, yep. oh, okay. four and two. Yeah, Ooh. so he's he's just in the beginnings. Yeah, they were, how was the parade? You took him to the parade. Did they get all super jacked up about the parade? They did. And Wes, our little two year old dude, that kid was on a sugar high. Oh, he was like screaming, <laughs> "Fire truck, tractors!" I'm like, "Jeez, calm down." Can't so, man. He was already he was rolling. He had a deep good time. They had a freaking load of candy that'll end up probably in the garbage yeah 
Yeah. So, so do you give them all they want at the beginning? No. How do you do it? Like, what's the? How do you dole the candy? How does it work for you in your house? Well, while they're at the parade, they each got, you know, what a piece or two of what they wanted. Okay. And then the rest of it currently is in a bag, and we haven't let them touch Which it. Which will be since. in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So or it'll sit in a, yeah. or it'll sit in the cupboard for four months. Like we just threw right. out the Fourth of July candy that we didn't let them eat. Oh yeah, <laughs> but they know right. it's there. Right, right, yeah. It's that's that's the that's the rub, right? Is yeah. they know it exists. So like with the Fourth of July stuff, it's like we picked out ninety percent of it. We left in a couple things like Twizzlers and and crap that we know they'll eat and they like, and then threw the rest. So what do you do? You like sneak into it now and then? I did yesterday. I had like four or five pieces, <laughs> but then I felt really guilty because I've been trying really hard. So you, I, you know, yeah. be on a health thing. Yeah, you're looking good, bro. Yeah, like you can thanks. you can tell you're putting in the you're putting in the work. Putting in the work. Yeah. What about you? When you were like, did you go to parades and shit when you were a kid? I know you said you were kind of sheltered and stuff. How did um, they? I don't. I don't recall going to too many parades as a kid. Did you go to any like festivals? So you said. Hmm. I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember. No. Were you reli- you were religious? My parents, yes, we grew up in a very religious household, yeah. So, so there used to be, like, I know um, in Sauk, where I grew up, my parents would, uh, and my grandparents would always, t- always take us to the local church, had a festival. And it was, like, a, this big thing where they had, you know, kind of, like, church-style. Yeah, that's the kind fe- of thing uh, we would have Like, done you know, yeah. carnival games, right. like ring toss, but you don't win the soda. Everything you, biblically related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure there was mice races or some weird Whoa, shit. Whoa, like really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being part of a, a human nativity scene when I was young, <laughs> dressed up as, I don't know, young Joseph or something. Yeah, we, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. You know what's funny fun. when you see the signs for those church, because it still happens. Like in Baraboo has them, they have church parties. Yeah. And it's like you see signs for it. And it's like they're trying to appeal to teenagers. It's like it's like church day at the pool, swimming, food, and sermon. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and it's just like, and it's all like edgy on the sign, you know, because they're trying to. And it's yeah, just like, but the women will but, be covered. Well, but just from like head to toe. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's where yeah, Ben's right. mind goes. Yeah. But it's just like as a teenager, <laughs> it's like it's like, how do you like? Right. They're gonna look at that and be like. Not, you know, it's like if you're not part of the church, how many people actually go to that? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like if your parents aren't sending you. Like how many friends are like, oh, man, I'm going to this right. thing. <laughs> Did you, see you the should sign? totally yeah. come with. Dude, you right. should come with. It's like, whoa, what's it about? And it's like. It'd be fun well, to infiltrate something like that. Plus, if I bring a friend, I get yeah. an extra game ticket. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the old bonus. Bring a friend, get an extra ticket. Yeah. I remember. I remember. I don't even know what it was. I'm gonna I'm going to compare it to our teen center, but it was not that in sock. And it had opened up and it was just like this guy who had opened it up and my buddy's like, Oh yeah, you need to come to this teen center. I'm like, Oh, all right, yeah, I'll I'll come hang out with you. And I walk in and there's like two people there and there's an Xbox and then there's this guy in the back like reading from a book and talking to like one other teen through this book and I'm like what the fuck is this, bro? <laughs> he's 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 uh, uh, inoculating. <laughs> it, it was pretty much like yeah the the local pastor is trying to open a teen center, and it was very much oh yeah the video game council, and then right. it was him reading. Yeah, the only one, the only the game bar. you could play on there was some kind of like alphabet <laughs> game or some <laughs> shit. Yeah. It's like what kind of loser games are these, man. Right. 
I joined a church when I was a teenager because this this really hot girl was was going there. It was good reason. Yeah. Well, you made me think of it because you're talking about the girls are all covered. <laughs> so I was I used to go um, stay with my mom in the summertime. Um, my parents were divorced, and so I spent my summers with my mom in Montana. And uh, uh, there was a, the pool, like the city pool. It was like the big fucking thing because there was a town was like two thousand people. So, and it was an above ground pool. But it was pretty big, and so you get a pass, and all the kids would go swim in the pool, and it was in like a fucking pole shed, so it sucked. But I remember there was this girl that talked to me, and she was like, I thought she was a goddess. I, I couldn't even tell you what she looked like, yeah, but she talked at, to me. at the time she did, and I was like, nobody talked to me. I was like, I was the I was the fat chubby kid that like right. nobody talked to, so. I was swimming around, and she started talking to me, and she told me about this church. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll go. Like, if, will you talk to me more? Yeah. <laughs> will you sit by me? I'm in. And so I joined this church. I went home, and I told mom, I'm like, I'm going to go to church. She goes, you're going to what? <laughs> and I'm like, like, yeah, it's great. It's going to be so much fun. And she's like, what's the fucking catch why do you want to go to church you're thinking with your dick again aren't you oh, hey, like, well, yeah, is what she I, thought I was, this was the beginnings <laughs> of me thinking with my dick yeah. i think this is probably one of the first times i ever really made like had an actionable thing i did while motivated with my penis right right you know and it was like and it's like just the thought of somebody talking to me too you know i'm sure it was like that that fed me for weeks oh man so i go to church and i meet doug flutie you know Doug Flutie? Yeah, the quarterback? Yeah, yeah, I met Doug Flutie. He showed up at the church, and he's talking to the church. And, and I was super into football cards. He had a, he gave everybody a signed football card and a box of Flutie Flakes. Do you remember Flutie Flakes? Oh, I don't remember God. Flutie Flakes. Yeah, but. Flutie Flakes. He had his own cereal, and they were called Flutie Flakes. And in his football card was like him with the signature on it and Sharpie. And then when you opened it up, it was a three a fold-up card and it had all of his sermons and shit in it oh. right so i so put it in a religious dude oh yeah okay so when i came home from my summer i couldn't wait to tell all my buddies that that i collect football cards with about the signed doug flutie football card and first nobody had even heard of doug flutie none of those guys it was all troy aikman and joe montana and all those guys and they're like let me see this thing you're full of shit and so i sort of showed them the card and they're like what is this? Some kind of God card? <laughs> and I'm like, shut up, man. It was super cool. He's a real quarterback. Look. And so he was playing. I think he was playing for the Chargers at the time. And then he just kept opening it up. And they're like, you're such a loser, man. This isn't even a legit totally card. Totally backfired on you. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. like, I was, I just, when I was a kid, I so badly wanted to be cool oh like God. so badly Me wanted too. to be cool all, all these guys i knew and hung out with they were all super cool i don't have no idea why i was around other than maybe to pick on but i wanted to be cool and i remember one year i, I <laughs> this is karate kid was really big i came back and, and i'm like yeah i learned karate while i was, when I was on vacation nice. and they're like really and i'm like yeah and, and and they knew like instantly they knew i didn't learn anything and they're like okay well, let's see what you got. And so I like did some kick moves and shit. And they're like, you want to fight? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they fucking beat my ass. <laughs> oh, man. And it was like, I was oh, like, I just, I just wanted to be cool so fucking bad, you know? And so I, had to, I lied. Told them I, I learned karate. Uh. I was a I was a black belt in, in two months. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it son. was insane. You have no idea. 
the John Claude Van Damme movies were out and oh, they were so huge weird. and it's just like everybody's like blood sport. You know, it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day. Mm. Back in the day, growing up a nerd. Yeah, that's yep. right. Exactly. Yeah. It shaped me though. Uh, well, how long did you go to the church? Just the one time? No, to I meet went Flutie? No, no, no. I went I probably went like for at least three Sundays. Okay. I think I went at least three, three times. Three, yeah. Nice. Yeah. But then I realized like like this girl, like once I got into the church, she was like, Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go Talk sure. to t- pastor or something, and it's just like, oh, you're not going to talk to me anymore. <laughs> it's kind of sad after that. Yeah. So, but I mean, the people were really nice, you know, yeah. and they gave you free cookies at the end of the deal, so that was good, right? You know, right. so legit. Yeah, I got confirmed for a girl, so it's all you, good. What? Well, my wife. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's a different story. Yeah, you. <laughs> she had to get married at church. Sure, she didn't have to. She wanted to get married in a Catholic church. Uh. So I was. So you had to. Okay. So I was the twenty-something-year-old taking private oh, lessons with a gosh. nun, and then I got confirmed with a bunch of high schoolers. Did you? Oh. Did you? Did you get baptized? I grew up Catholic. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. I just had never. I had done everything up until confirmation because I started playing hockey. Okay. And my parents were cool enough to be like, "Yeah, youth hockey plays all the weekends, so no more Sundays." Yeah. Boom. That's pretty choice. cool. So you had to get confirmed, but you. You were already inundated in. Oh, I was already Catholic, yeah. Yeah. So, did you have like the big Catholic wedding? Yeah. How was that? Was that like crazy? Ugh. I mean, it's, it's they're so fucking long, right? Uh-huh. It was long. It it was full full on. It was like an hour or something. <sighs> but so my grandparents, the one who would take me to those festivals, were so Catholic themselves. We had a one o'clock mass that ended at let's just say. 215 my grandpa left that to go to his own church to a four o'clock mass before coming to the dinner for my wedding holy shit wow that's so, commitment uh, that's commitment yeah. yeah what you know when you like i went to a funeral once um this is my ex's family uh uncle i think uncle or grandfather passed away and like he would he was a devoted churchgoer like <laughs> Every Sunday, he went to all the different events and everything. And so it was like when everybody came, walked up to the, the pew or pulpit, pulpit, right? Is that the thing at the front? Pulpit? I think it's the pulpit for, yeah. yeah. The so pew the, is what you say. Yeah, the, the pew. Oh, yeah, yeah. Saying, yeah. So they spoke about him, and it was like everybody said he was so devout, and he was here for everything, and he did all these things. And it was like he had all of his favorite hymns and his favorite mm-hmm. sermons and everything. And it was just like, yeah. I wanted to hear about like what he was as a, as a like a man outside of the church, right. mm-hmm. you know. But it's because it's in a church and it's a, about the church service as much like a wedding in a Catholic church. It's like yeah. it's all about the church, you know. It's like, well, how much is this really about the people that we're talking about here, right? You know. Right. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely not big on religion anymore. Yeah, e- I've either way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've met enough people that are not religious at all that are amazing people. And enough people that are very religious that are not amazing people. So, yeah, I tend to look at how you are as a human being, not what you profess to believe. Uh, I guess, are we all in agreement with that? Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I kind of, you know, I don't don't know where this originates, but um, I've definitely heard this a few times. If if it's the threat of hell or whatever, 
that keeps you from being an asshole, then are you really that good of a person? <laughs> like, yeah. do you need to know there's some hereafter or can you just do it on your own accord? Right. You know, so. But did, yeah. like, with, they're brought up that way, though, as like well, little oh, kids, yeah. you know? Oh, so, yeah. so it's like, right. you don't even know if they're an asshole yet when they get started getting told that they're going to go to hell if they're right. an asshole. Right. You know? And yeah. so it's like. Don't even give them the opportunity to be an asshole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like rub that out of them right away, or you make them hide it right away. Yeah, that's and that's it. that's the part that's fucked up. Is like you don't know and if they they're take an it asshole. On their kids or whatever. Right, yeah. they got to do it quietly, mm -hmm. and that's the fucked up part. It's like mm, here's some stories. Obviously, the Catholic Church has had a lot of issues with people hiding shit behind closed doors, and it's like. You know, maybe when they were little, they, they weren't scared of going to hell if they ever talked about things that, you know, bad mm -hmm. thoughts they had. Maybe you want to, like, help them right. out a little bit. They, <coughs> they needed some mentorship. Mm -hmm. Some Boys and Girls Club where they can say double motherfucker whenever they want. Right. <laughs> they can't say it whenever they want. Only when we're in the woods. <laughs> no. Well, well he's, when, we, when we had our first group with him and he found out he could say fuck. He, oh, just yeah, said, yeah. he just said fuck like 20 times yeah we do a check-in <laughs> we're, we're like so this is you know this is how my day's going this week's been pretty this it's like i'm kind of feeling like this right now and it's like his check-in he's like hi fuck <laughs> <laughs> and he looks around he's like huh fuck <laughs> he, he had so much fun his eyes got yeah, he was definitely like that his eyes got so big and he's like no one's gonna say anything right now this is amazing yeah, yeah, fuck again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> holy shit oh, so so ben dude yeah. we haven't talked about this yet you you run these insane fucking races oh, like geez you like, want to talk about that yeah i do want to talk about this so listen this fucking guy Goes to northern Wisconsin in January or Minnesota or some shit and runs 135 miles. Well, I haven't done that yet. The fuck, but you've but you've, I, you've I, run snow races before. I have. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking nuts, man. I won't. Yeah. I won't run like I won't run hardly at all. Mm -hmm. Like in the regular good weather, <laughs> 70 degrees out. So I've always been a runner. Like I said, cross country and track in high school. I, I just tended to be decent at it and and. Uh, yeah, and then I did a lot of running in the military. And after I got out, I started doing some road races, 5Ks, 10Ks. Um, did well. I was fairly fast in decent shape. Uh, and then I saw a buddy of mine do Ironman Wisconsin. And I don't know if, if either of you have watched that, watched the start of the Ironman. It's, uh, you know, there's all these people treading water out there in, in uh, Lake Mon uh, Monona. Or, yeah, Monona, because it's in front of the Monona Terrace. And uh, a cannon sounds and 2,000 arms raise and it starts out. It, it's, it's incredibly inspiring to watch it. So I, I saw him do Iron Man and I, I went, I'm doing that. And I started, I didn't know how to swim. But, I mean, other than head out of the water, like thrashing. Um, so I had to learn how to swim correctly with my face in the water, breathing to the side. Bought a bike and started training and did triathlons for about three years before I did Iron Man. Did three half Ironmans in preparation and got pretty decent at triathlon. I was pretty fast. I, I, there's, a, there's a triathlon here at Devil's Lake called the Devil's Challenge. One year I placed fourth there. Um, so, And when I did do Ironman, I did fairly well. Uh, I made a goal and I pretty much came pretty close to the goal, but was totally burnt out on triathlon after that. So 
because you're you're just I mean you're training three different sports I mean you're just eating sleeping and breathing triathlon um, how long did you train for for that like would you say well I mean it was three years of of all uh, you know triathlons a bunch of sprint triathlons and half Ironmans in preparation for Ironman but my actual like block of training before Ironman Ironman is September I probably started in March you know, and did kind of a followed a kind of a periodizing schedule. So you're you're ramping up for three weeks, then you take a week, to, uh, you know, kind of an off week, and then ramp up for three more weeks, that kind of stuff. So it it was a lot of training. But when got, you trained, did you get like a regimen? Like, wh- how did you? Yeah, did you find someone so, help you, you know, out? Or? You know, my buddy Clay. Yeah. So he actually coached me for Ironman. He'd done he'd done Ironman, and uh, I, he coached me in swimming and kind of was my unofficial uh, triathlon coach. But I also used a book called Going Long, uh, Training for Long Distance Triathlon by Joel Friel. And basically read that book cover to cover and just kind of followed the principles. Like, okay, this is what I got to do. This is how I got to eat. This is what I got to do. Kind of training schedule I need to follow. So whatever I needed to do to accomplish my goal, I just followed it. And, and it worked. It worked. Uh, so... But after that, uh, I was pretty burnt out on triathlon. <laughs> it was like a huge, you know, it's very orgasmic to finish like that. But then you, you follow, you get through that phase where you're just like, okay, what do I do now? And you, you go through kind of a post-race depression and you need to. Really? You need, I mean, yeah, that's pretty common for people who do big races. Is you, sure you do. Once, once the goal is done, then yeah, it's, it's like done. that that has fixated you for so long. You, you need something. You just kind of like, what do I do? Now? You you seem you're just kind of aimless. Like I don't know what I'm doing. Wow, right now. I never thought about that. Yeah, so that I mean that that's something that over time you have to learn to deal with if you do big endurance races and probably a lot of things are like that. But I, I decided, what do I do next? Uh, I don't know. Why don't I just do marathons now? Just one sport. And why don't I try and qualify for Boston and do the Boston Marathon? So I did did a Green Bay Marathon, I did qualify for Boston at that. I did Milwaukee Marathon, Lakefront Marathon, and then I went to Boston in 2006 and did Boston. And did what was well, that like? Did well. It was, I mean, it was inspiring. It was a very difficult race. The, the thing with the Boston course is the first half is a lot of downhill. So you're you're flying, and it's really easy to get sucked into that and go out too hard. But it also takes a toll on your legs from all that downhill. And then what happens is, mile like 17 through 20 it's like hills and you hit heartbreak hill right at about 20 miles which is where people they call that the i mean that's like the wall in the marathon Oh, okay so you're hitting a very difficult hill right at a very difficult part of the race um and then it's a lot more downhill into into town but but it's a it's a difficult race because of the layout of the race. It's a point to point race. How many but, how many people? Isn't it like a, oh, it's thousands. It's like it was like forty thirty five forty thousand or something Jesus. like that. It's a lot. I can't imagine. Yeah, and, it, mean, and it's all one start, right? Yeah. Well, the pros they start the pros first. Okay. But then then they start. I think you start in waves, if I remember correctly. So it's like the men's thirty to thirty five. Then it's this, then this, then this, and they release you, if I remember correctly. Okay. It's been a while, but this was two thousand six. But but and and they may have changed it since then. But yeah, it's you're running with a lot of people. It's and the whole way is packed. It's uh, the whole the whole course is cordoned off, and people are lining it, cheering, and you you pass. I think it's Wellesley College at mile 13 or so it's an all-female college and it's called the scream tunnel if i remember correctly because oh. women are just screaming and really and it's supposed to 
be Motivate. pretty, pretty motivating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these young women screaming at you. Motivate you to stop. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or show your tits or something. <laughs> ben, <laughs> right, right. how dare you? We love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was an experience. Um, and I did well there. I set a PR at Boston, which was, it's difficult to do on that course, but I did. And then I, I didn't, you know, once again, it was like, what do I do now? I have all this fitness right now. And a month later was the Ice Age 50-mile race of a trail race in the Southern Kettle Moraine. And I uh, somehow, I don't remember how I got wind of it at that time, but I thought, why not? I'll try it. I'm in great shape. Uh, I'll try 50 miles in the in the woods. And that was my introduction to ultra running. And, and it was amazing because you're running at a, a much slower pace because it's 50 miles. And, uh, you know, you walk a lot of the uphills or at least the steeper uphills. You're talking to people. There's aid stations with food. You're eating the whole time. That's, I mean, that's very important to do in ultras to take in a lot of calories. You know, during, during like the Boston Marathon, you're grabbing a cup of Gatorade and drinking it real quick. Or you maybe you have a gel or two with you and you take a gel and wash it down with some water. But you don't eat during races like that, during road races in general, or, or races marathon and under, but, but uh, anything above that. So an ultra marathon is anything over the standard marathon distance. So the, the shortest ultra marathon is a 50K, which is 31 miles. And then they range all the way up to, I mean, there are, there are some 200 plus mile races. Wow. And then there's even last man standing races where it's a, it's a it's a fixed loop that you run. You just run it every hour on the hour until no one can continue anymore. Um, so yeah, I did did my first fifty mile there, and I did really well in it. I was in good shape, and and um, ended up winning my age group. And I'm like, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Like this is awesome. What you know, you're in the woods. You're not on the roads. It's just so you know. And then growing up in the woods, I'm sure I was like, wow, where has this been all my life? So. I did it. I did another. Did it again the next year, and and did well again. And then I did Pikes Peak Marathon in two thousand eight, which is a trail, a trail race, and kind of just went to trail then. And and I've never looked back. I don't. I don't generally do road races. I. I mean, I've done one. You know, it, last year I guess I did a the five k here at a Lions Club five k here in Baraboo. Um, but but I don't. I I don't run on the roads anymore. It's like once you go to trail, you never go back. So and I took some. I. I took some time off in like 2010 or so. I started getting into stair races. So this is tower running. So there's there's races at this the Sears Tower, which is now the Willis Tower. You start at the, they release you in a time trial format. So you cross the time, you wear a timing chip, you, you cross a timing mat at the foot of the tower in the stairwell. And at the top, you cross another timing mat. So they release you like every five seconds. Um, and so I got into stair races. There's one in Milwaukee at the, U.S. Bank building. Um, in, in stair races, do you, like, can you use the handrail? <laughs> you definitely use the handrail. Yeah, okay. and there's a whole, like, as you get better at it, there's a whole system to it. You double step, generally. Double pull, double you, step. Whoops. What is double step? my mic over. I mean, you take, you don't go one step oh, at a time. Oh, right. You generally steps, yeah. take two steps at a time. It's more efficient. Um, you pull the rail. Um, it's just, there's a whole technique to it that you learn as you get better at it. As I say, like your left arm would get super fucking tired. Right. Well, you usually pull hand over hand like right. this with, so your, your, your arms are on one side of your body pulling the rail on that so side. So you're, 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 
for those of us that for they can't yeah. see Ben, yeah. you know, because you know <laughs> for this the is audience a, here, this is an audio podcast. Right. <laughs> Ben's Ben's mimicking. So, but you're so you're, you're it's like pulling you're, a rope on. Yeah, one you're side hugging, the, but you're twisted, right? Your body's a little, a little yeah. twisted. So yeah. you're you're pulling the rail mm-hmm. hand over hand, doing double steps, but you're kind of twisted like, to the side. Like when you get to the top, are you like tweaked? Like there's I, this I don't of, remember that being an issue. Your legs are the issue. Oh, your I'm, legs I'm, and your lungs. It's that, that, that's some of the most difficult physical uh, events I've ever done in my life is stair races. They're, they're fairly short, though I have done like an endurance climb where you summit a building as many times as you can in an hour. But even the Sears Tower was, I think my fastest time up the Sears Tower was 17 minutes and 11 seconds. So, and the winner did it in 13 something. So this is 105 stories in 13 something minutes. That's, that's fucking shit. nuts. Right. And I, I mean, 17 minutes for me was very fast. I mean, and I, and I got placed in the top 20 or 25 or something like that. But, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's a short race, but it's all, it's so, I mean, it, you're redlined and it's all muscular endurance too, because it's, you're pushing with your legs. Right. So it's not just a, it's not just a, like running a fast race, you know, on a flat surface, you, you've got that whole component. Plus you've got the muscular endurance component and you're in an enclosed stairwell. So the air is stagnant and you end up with something called climber's cough. Basically, you cross the finish line at the top. You collapse, and you're hacking and coughing, and you're usually doing that for a couple hours afterwards. Wow. And even some of the races, like uh, the Milwaukee one, has a section of carpeted stairwell, so you're breathing in carpet fibers. It's oh. even worse. You're, you're, you're just you're coughing even worse. They're, they're, they're brutal. There's no, I mean, there's no let-up. There's no, there's no hill you crest, and you coast over it. There's no... There's no place where you can take it easy at all on those stair races. So it's it's just and the scenery never yeah, changes. Six yeah, minutes right. or seventeen minutes of just yeah, no scenery, no spectators. It's awful. I don't and and they're expensive. Sounds, sounds great. And they're expensive because they're usually fundraisers for the American Lung Association or the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation or whatever. Uh, the Sears Tower one is for the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. So yeah, they cost 100, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, 200 bucks cuz you're donating to a cause sure. too. But you're paying for that that torture, torment. So, but I did get into that for a while, and at the same time, I got into CrossFit. I started working out uh, with CrossFit Farmland in Wanakee and kind of got out of the ultra distance type stuff. And I even even bulked up a little bit and did a strongman competition in 2016. So I've, I mean, just like my resume, I've done a little bit of everything physically. But then I think in 2017 or so, I started doing the 50 miles again, 50 mile races again, and. Did my first 100 mile in 2019. And since then I've done, let me think, I've done one, two, three, 400 milers and a, and a 150 miler. Wow. What's the, how long does it take to do 100 miles? Well, it depends on the course. Um, my PR is about, so my personal record is about 23 minutes and 13, 23 hours, sorry. 23 hours and 13 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> 23 yeah I know, it's a world Bro, record. What? You've never even heard of this. What? Yeah, no, I've, I've done it in less than a day. So I've done it, in, I've broken 24 hours twice in 100 miles, which is a really cool feeling. Because like the Western States 100, which is a very prestigious, like kind of the Wimbledon of 100 milers, they have a belt buckle that you get. That's if you break 24 hours, it says 100 miles one day, which is pretty that's fucking pretty awesome yeah. i mean that's yeah. pretty fucking sick yeah. and and uh actually belt buckles are the the general award you get or completer you know finishers thing okay. you get really? for so 100 it's like miles rodeo. 
Yeah, because a lot of times, some uh, like the Western State started as a horse race. So one guy's oh. horse came up lame, and he decided to run the, run the course, and he beat some of the horses. So then, he, then people are like, oh, people can do this. And then, you know, it's, it's sick how people <laughs> end up doing things. But, but so traditionally now, 100-mile races, you get a belt buckle. So I, I have a collection it is, of like belt around buckles. around the U.S., it's always It doesn't a belt really buckle. matter. It's generally okay. a belt buckle. That's yeah, pretty cool. Which is pretty cool. So I, have, I do have some pretty cool belt buckles. That's they're, awesome, they're nice man. Nice big belt buckles, yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, I mean, uh, as of right now, my next goal is the Arrowhead One Thirty Five. I registered for it. I haven't got confirmation that I got selected. They only select maybe fifty percent of the field. You have to have a qualifying race, and I'm a, I'm a, a newbie to it. I'm not a veteran. They, ha- they let the veterans, they select the veterans of it first. Uh, so this is at the end of January up in International Falls, Minnesota, uh, on a snowmobile trail, one hundred thirty-five miles. You have to pull a sled with you or a sled behind you. I mean, you could wear all your gear in a backpack, I suppose, too, but it's generally people pull a sled because you have to carry a sleeping bag, a certain amount of fuel, a certain amount of calories, you know, some emergency equipment. Um, and, yeah. So yeah. it's like a harness probably attached to your yeah. waist? Yeah, there's different ways to do it. Um, yeah, and, I, and I have a, a buddy of mine who, who uh, has done it and done several races like that, and, and I'll definitely consult him on on the logistics of how to do it. But if I get, if I get, if my entry gets accepted, I will probably be out on <laughs> some of the trails around here, pulling a tire or something. I'll probably mm-hmm. go to the state great sock trail and pull a, pull a sled or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, cause you need to, you need to get used to that. And yeah, I guess got yeah. you're using different muscles. Yeah, and yeah for sure. Different right. form. Cause you got a weight behind you. Right. You gotta like carry a can of like cooking spray for the bottom of your sled. That's not a bad idea. Wax it up. Yeah, yeah. wax and, it up and pray for snow. Obviously, because well, if there's no snow, then obviously you're not going to pull a sled. Then you're going to be carrying it all, which is going to slow everything down. And you know, so Jesus. But but ultras are interesting because how, how many calories? Like, is there? I'm sure there's like a science to it. Well, how many calories do you expect to burn? You can only absorb about two fifty to three hundred calories an hour. While you're doing, while you're running, it's uh, uh, I'm I don't know the exact science on it or the exact numbers, but generally you try to take in about 250 to 300 calories an hour because anything more than that, your gut doesn't really absorb it, and then you end up maybe having to go to the bathroom, and, oh. which is something you would uh, like to avoid. It does you, happen. You do have to do that during ultras, and and um, you know, getting used to pooping in the woods is something that's a whole. Another topic with ultras, but you, one of the most important things about running ultras is learning to eat while you're running and absorb calories and not have GI issues. So I, I generally don't have GI issues. Um, I carry some ginger um, candies with me, and sometimes at the aid stations I'll drink some ginger ale just to kind of calm mm-hmm. the stomach down a little bit. But but GI issues will put somebody out. Like if you start having diarrhea, you start oh. throwing up, you can't keep calories down, you're done. Yeah, because for for you know races that are hours and hours and hours, you need to be able to take in calories. That's very very important. So what's your go to? So, like what's your go to calorie intake? What well, do you use? I I tend to take for at least hundred mile races. I generally use just liquid calories for the most part, and I use something called Carbo Pro, which is pretty much just straight maltodextrin, and you can you can mix like in a seven like a sixteen ounce water bottle flask or whatever. You can mix. 500 calories in that. So you can, you can mix a lot of calories into, into fluid. And I just 
I'll have one bottle of that and one bottle of straight water. And then I also take in electrolyte supplements as well. But but I'll, I'll just like alternate between the bottles. Like every fifth, my, I have kind of a weird strategy, but I just, y- you learn what works, you dial it in and then that's what you stick with. And, and I generally take seven sips every 15 minutes out of alternating bottles. Seven sips seems to be about right the, the right amount of intake of fluid. And then I've got it dialed in with the right amount of calories. So I'm taking in about that 250 calories an hour every now and then at an aid station, if they have watermelon or something that appeals to me, I'll take it. But I, for the most part, use liquid calories and that, that's worked for me. Colder races, uh, you know, you might want to take in more, more solid calories and maybe something hot, hot chocolate, ramen, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, coffee, that kind of stuff. And, and then I tend to be able to eat more and, but at least for, for certainly for warmer races, liquid calories is all I want. And I, I'll supplement that. If I have drop bags I, and I'm able to keep something uh, of my own that I can pick up along the way, I'll, I'll use coconut water or Ensure. Those are two things that are fluids that I'm, I can usually are pretty palatable to me and work pretty well. I love ice cold coconut water and I, I like Ensure. And Ensure is perfect. I mean, it's a bottle of 240 calories or whatever. It's like an hour's worth of right, energy yeah. right there in one bottle. You drain it, boom, good to go. Yeah, it's only like six Sits ounces well. or something. Yeah. Like uh, well, it's like, eight, maybe. I think they're like, yeah, maybe, eight, yeah, something like that, eight to 12, somewhere in there. But yeah, everybody has their own thing that works for them, and and that's pretty much what has seemed to work for me. But so it's going to put you in a deficit, though, right? I mean, if you're only does, doing over 250 time. calories an right. hour and you're running for yeah, 24 probably, hours. Right. So like, you end up, you end up, you know, losing some weight, certainly you're probably burning some muscle, you know, it's, it's catabolic and, and you're, you're, you're losing some muscle over time, but, but, um, you're trying to take in as many calories as you can to offset that energy expenditure. What do you burn like 10,000? Oh shit. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know how many calories I would burn over that. Um, you, you know, you're trying to keep your heart rate under a certain level. You're trying not to redline at all. That's why. So what's red line? What's what's? Well, you don't want to be breathing hard. I mean, of course, towards the end when you're whatever kicking it in, giving it your all, it's fine. But you don't. You need to be able to run at a pretty low RPM for a long time. And and if you're an efficient runner and you you're a well trained runner, then your low RPM is still going to be at a faster pace than somebody else's, right? So, right. but even the even the world-class ultramarathoners aren't running a hundred miles out there, like gasping for air or that kind of thing. Right. I mean, they're keeping it at a, at a decent controlled um, energy expenditure. And, and uh, so that's, you got to get used to that. And, and it ends up being that you walk most of the Hills because it's just more efficient and you're going to, your heart rate's going to jack up. Your breathing's going to jack up when you're you know, running up a hill, especially if it's right. s- steeper. So, you know, people think, oh, man, you, you ran 100 miles, but you end up walking a decent portion <clears throat> of it. I mean, you know, full disclosure, certainly. Even the, even the pros are going to be walking some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use, I use trekking poles, real lightweight. I have these black diamond collapsible, like, aluminum trekking poles that I generally use for hillier races, for mountain races, which is what I prefer to do is mountain races. But um, what they do is they, they end up allowing you to offload a little bit of off your legs onto your upper body, kind of transfer some of that energy expenditure to the rest of your body. 
Um, and if you look at like the European ultra runners, they all use poles. And then the most of the best ultra runners in the in the world use use poles at some point to. So there, and, and learning how to use the poles is important, and how to run with them, and when to use them, and there's there's a lot of science behind it, and I'm in and a lot of different variables, and that's part of the fun of it is controlling all those different variables, like because mm. feet become an issue, right? You're gonna have you're gonna have blisters, you're gonna have your feet torn up. It just happens, and you need to learn how to manage all that, and you're gonna and emotionally too, you're gonna you you run the whole gamut from elation to extreme depression you might be sobbing at one point you might be laughing out loud it's a it's a kind of a microcosm of life in itself and that's one of the reasons i enjoy it because you have to manage all that and you're in the moment for all that time i never wear headphones out there i never i'm 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 just in the moment trying to enjoy the suffering and and um i don't know it's it's a whole experience and and getting done with an ultra marathon is amazing it's an amazing feeling of accomplishment and yeah i don't know i I enjoy it i i i i'm decent at it and i and i enjoy it so i'm gonna keep doing it all right good reasoning (laughs) i like that (laughs) i think like i've seen pictures of your feet yeah like fucking toenails falling off yeah my toenails are generally my big toenails are generally in a state of of departure. <laughs> yeah. So I, my, my 13 year old daughter, I generally have her paint my toenails black before every race. So the big toes usually just have a nail bed there or a part of a nail growing back in. So she, she just paints that like it's the toenail and, and they turn black and fall off anyway. So I, I figured why not go with it? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yep. So I've got, I've got painted toenails. Gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, painted missing yeah. toenails. Yeah. 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 You got painted toenail beds. Which <laughs> right. you got. Exactly. I suppose. Yeah. You put that much pressure on your big toe when you're. Yeah. And maybe, constant. I mean, there are people who don't lose toenails, but that just always happens to me. Just. I, and I've been fortunate with my feet. I feel like my feet are in pretty good condition compared to a lot of people's. I like my arches are good. I don't generally have foot pain. You know, I can I can squat. I can sit in a squat. I can, you know, I've been really fortunate with my body that way. I would never say that the races I do are good for your body. Uh, I think the training in general can be good. A lot of the training I do is beneficial as far physically, but the races themselves definitely tear you down and and are really demanding on your constitution. And but it's a trade off, right? right? Do I do I do something that tears my body down a little bit, but builds me up mentally and emotionally and, uh, and gives me a lot of life satisfaction. Um, so, so do you feel like um, ultra running keeps you from doing things that would be more destructive? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I have a, have a little bit of an addictive personality. I've never really been addicted to drugs. Um, after I got out of the military, out of active duty, I, I did drink quite a bit and ended up getting a DUI. And then that kind of like, for, that was really fortunate because I ended up going, oh, shoot, you got to stop this. So, uh, I, I mean, I tend to have a little bit of an addictive personality. You, I definitely know me as a very passionate person. I, I live passionately. I, I'm, you know, like to throw myself 100% into things and, and uh, tend to have a little bit of an addictive personality. But I, I think that, if I didn't have these outlets that are relatively healthy, that I might find some more unhealthy 
outlets for my. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know. I just wonder if that's a yeah. com- if that's a common thing among yeah. theme among ultra runners in in I, because I just think about like running a hundred miles, one hundred thirty miles, even fifty miles. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's almost like like what are you running from? Well, that's that's what I was just going to say. I think we're all running from something a little bit. We're all dealing with our own demons, and it's and I think it's a way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this world of connectivity and you know, instant dopamine hits, you know, I'm constantly being on our phones. I know we've talked about this before, but it's like, it's, it's a way for me to disconnect. So I, I mean, I, you know, I wear a running vest. I have my phone with me on training runs and, 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 and for races for sure. You, you certainly, you need to carry that for, for a uh, safety sake, but I, I'm never on it and I'm never checking my phone. I'm not, I'm, I'm just actually in the moment. It's a, it's a way for me to do mindfulness and i find a hard find it hard to do mindfulness mindfulness on a daily basis on my own and force myself to do that but when i'm in a race or training for a race it's thrust upon me it's forced upon me and 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 there's something just very freeing and amazing about that to be out in nature and have nothing to distract you like I mean, it's fucking boring. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like for, so, I mean, to be out there for 30 hours or something and have, I mean, think about that. Yeah. Have, you know, and you might not, you might talk to somebody uh, occasionally out there. There might be somebody that passes you or you pass them. And at the start of a race, people are more congested and sometimes there's a little more chatter, but, but you are on your own with your thoughts for that long. It's like being on, an, on a it's, deserted island. It's like solitary. Know? It's fucking crazy. And and it, it's at first you're like, fuck this shit. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, it's it's fucking to be alone with your thoughts and be have to deal with yourself that long and not be able to pick up your phone or not be able to just go, oh, I'm going to do this or mm-hmm. I'm going to go rub one out or whatever it is you need <laughs> to do, right, to, to get through life. Like, or I'm going to call somebody or I'm going to have a drink or whatever just yeah. to be in that moment it's 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 nuts but it's like it's really cool too like that's being a human like mm. so much so many times we can't I, I don't think most of us can just sit there and be right. anymore just right. split atoms just breathe like yeah how many people actually do that nowadays and and i don't a lot I mean, I'll get my coffee and sit outside in the morning and try and do that. But I'm generally checking my phone, mm-hmm. you know? I yeah. mean, so those races, they they force that upon me. And and if I don't get that, I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's really important to me to have that. So have, have you ever, um, have you ever had the, like the desire to, to sh- to find a way to share that with people who have never experienced it before, um, like to to teach people who maybe have addictive personalities to yeah, like to like uh um, and this is obviously this is like kind of I think my that's a great works, idea, you know. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's one of the catalysts for me wanting to start a podcast is talk about things like that. Um, I've certainly thought about doing some coaching. And, and what I would focus on in my expertise in, in the coaching for ultra running would be on the mental toughness aspect, mm-hmm. because that's, 
that's the part that I find the most intriguing. And you can find running plans and you can find people to to coach you on on the specifics, you know, like how you should eat and what, how many calories you should take in and what kind of equipment you should use and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't really found I mean, I, I've every now and then read an article on Trail Trail Runner magazine or whatever where it talks about some three mental toughness workouts you can do to increase your mm-hmm. mental toughness, that kind of thing. But but um, mental toughness is such an important aspect of it, and I truly believe that anybody with a basic level of fitness can run a hundred miles if they want it badly enough. It all comes down to your mental mental state. I mean, if you look through history, throughout history, people have done amazing things when they've had to. Oh yeah. Like the human body can do fucking amazing things. And it's all about mindset. And that's the thing that intrigues me. I just, I love that part of it. And I, and that's a muscle that needs to be exercised just like any other muscle. So you can't just like, I I mean, I know a a guy that I'm acquainted with went out and ran his first hundred and, and, and he DNF. So did not finish. Right. And, and so he's going to have to attack that again. And, and, I, he asked me for some advice beforehand, and then he kind of poo-pooed it when I gave him the advice. But, which was unfortunate because uh, you know he ended up not completing the race. And I and some of the things I said were, "You're gonna, your body and your mind are gonna give you every reason in the world not to finish. Mm-hmm. It, they're gonna give you every excuse. I mean, all kinds of excuses. You'll be like, how the fuck did that happen? Why, how is my, how do I, how is my pack rubbing my back now? I'm bleeding back there. Like, what the fuck? You're." You know, why is my leg cramping up my ha- left hamstring? What is going on with that? Every excuse in the book, and you're going you're gonna to be rationalizing with yourself, you know, like, ah, this is stupid. Like, you will find every reason to quit, and you've got to find some way to just shrug that off and keep going. Relentless forward progress. Relentless forward progress. And if you can do that, you'll finish it. You mm-hmm. will. I mean, you can't think about how much you have left when you get to 30 miles and you're like, I've been running for fucking five, uh, you know, eight hours. And I'm at 30, I've got 70 fucking miles left. How do you process that? Even when you get to 70 miles, I don't know how to process. I've got three blocks left when I'm yeah. coming home so, yeah. from a jog. I mean, it's, it's a mind fuck and you can't do that. And so it's so much mental toughness. And so I, I try to exercise that by doing, I try to do difficult things, daily or you know most days i try to do something difficult that i don't want to do um and i i do workouts that are really suck (laughs) so that's one of the reasons i use a weight vest too because putting on a weight vest and adding 40 pounds to yourself and then going and running a time trial around devil's lake on the bluffs it's i mean i i i I almost puke thinking about it right now like like oh man it's awful like you dread it so much you know how much pain pain it's going to be and i think making yourself do those kind of things i think they help with mental toughness you can find ways to exercise that muscle and that's that's if you want to complete your first ultra if you want to do ultra marathons you you have to have that kind of attitude so courtney dewalter who's one of the best women ultra runners one of the best ultra runners period out there right now she's amazing and she talks about the the pain cave that she gets into and how she used to like do everything she could to avoid that. Cause eventually in an ultra, you're going to get to a point where everything just hurts and you're, you're in this pain cave and it's like, 
oh, I just make it end, make it stop. And she says now she welcomes that because that's where you can really do work. So she looks forward mm -hmm. to when she gets there. So it's about flipping the script and changing your attitude on on that kind of stuff and going, yeah, this is going to hurt. But you know what? That's that's where it gets good. And if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be worth anything when I get done. Right. So, yeah. right. I mean, man can only appreciate what he earns through hard work and toil. Yeah, I truly believe that. So that's, mm. you know, if you look back on your life and go, what are the, what are the things I appreciate the most? They're, they're going to be the things that are, were the hardest to get through. If things are handed to you, you don't, you don't appreciate them. So I guess that's, that's why I do ultras. I think, well, you know, once you're mentally tough enough to finish it, I think then in your case, I think your engineering background maybe kicked in where you're talking about controlling variables. Oh, yeah, maybe. Seven maybe sips a, per side per right, 15 minutes. Right. It's like, okay, now, yeah, there's a little now bit I'm tweaking of a, details. A, once I got that. A nerd in there Once somewhere. I can finish it, I'm a yeah. nerd. Your and, inner and, nerd. And a lot of, I think a lot of endurance athletes tend to be uh, like masters prepared, more educated, professional type people who really who really like those variables. They like controlling all these things and figuring out what works. They, you know, it's, it's interesting. They, that's, that seems to be the case a lot of times yeah. with uh, endurance athletes. I like it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. All right, fellas. Hey. That was a... Boom. Nice. Right. Thanks for, was fun. Thanks for joining us, dude. You're yeah. welcome. Thanks for coming. Great meeting me. you and hearing yeah, you about too. your story and stuff. So. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> So glad you came in. I'm so glad yeah. you came in. It was, uh, um, I know, <laughs> I've been talking to Kyle. I'm, I know I mentioned it. You did, you did, I, you did. I've yeah. talked to him about it, I don't know how many times. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my buddy Ben, we're going to get him in here. And we're trying to figure it out. And then so so yesterday, I'm like, oh, by the way, my buddy Ben's coming <laughs> into the podcast. He's like, surprise, thanks for telling surprise, me, Dick. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for asking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> thanks thanks for the heads up, man. Well, that's, that's how we roll. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. It was good. So, um, yeah, appreciate you being here, man. I really do. Um, I appreciate I'm, you having me. I, uh, it's, it's, I, I know how passionate you are about the, the, the running and, and, and the, and the, and the suffering and, and the being right. out there. And it's like, but you know, in, in our, in our conversations, like I get to hear that, mm -hmm. you know, but, but not everybody gets an opportunity yeah. to like, to know why, like, like what the fuck is that crazy asshole doing in the woods for right. 24 hours? And it's right. like, and like, why what, would you do this? Yeah, why would you ever do that? And it's like, people people don't understand. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of things that people do that people understand why. Oh yeah. You know, and so yeah. it gives an opportunity to do a little bit of insight Break as to why you bit. do crazy shit. Yeah. You know, and uh and I appreciate that you do crazy shit. Yeah. Cuz then you can you can share that with yeah. I mean, you fuck you made me think about like, man, maybe I want to go for a little run. There I, you go. Yeah, you know, I probably won't, but I mean, it made me think about yeah. it. <laughs> people have inspired me. I mean, you see someone like David Goggins and you're like, "Well, oh, shit." Yeah. I mean, maybe things aren't as hard as I think they are. Right. You know, that's, yeah. I think that's important just in general to go, it could always be worse. Did you die? Right. No. Did you die? Did, Did you, you die, die, motherfucker? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to carry the boat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's yeah, crazy. He's, he's a wild man. Yeah. Um, so I, I have an idea for you and I'm going to, I'm okay. going to drop this million dollar idea because oh, we do this often here. So you need to, you don't need, you knew, you shouldn't, I shouldn't say it. You don't need to. Uh -huh. There's an opportunity with your with your teaching background mm -hmm. and your passion for what you do, to because you said it's always people running from something, right? Yeah, you know it's it's therapeutic in a way. So you could you could help people by teaching them 
how to how to get through the pain and how to how to work through that through Ooh. running and the name of your the name of your of your business is going to be called splitting atoms i fucking love that when oh. you said splitting atoms like that's all we're doing is splitting atoms <laughs> yeah i'm like, like that's that. that's fucking beautiful splitting it's atoms. really awesome man being splitting, a human splitting just, atoms yeah. Yeah. yeah i love it so that's it right there all man. right man all right. And you just Thank named you. the podcast episode. <laughs> Boom. Done and done. <laughs> done. Efficiency, baby. All right. Yeah. All right. There it is. Let's wrap this. All right. Mr. Lamon, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Always, Mr. Crosby. Thanks yeah. for joining yeah. us. Thanks for having me. Until, until, until next until, time. Th- yeah, next time. We don't know what. We don't even know when that is, yeah, but until know. that next time. Yeah. Thanks for tuning yeah. in. Much love. Peace, everybody. Peace. Bye-bye.